This episode contains major plot spoilers for George Romero's Night of the Living Dead and Werner Herzog's documentary Grizzly Man. This show also has minor spoilers for One of the Dead. Happy New Year! It is now 2015 on Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 38. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-host tonight is... Kyle Bishop, podcasting from my basement in Cedar City. <laughs> nice. You are a legit horror podcaster when you're in your basement doing That's it from right. there. But it's not my mom's basement. Right. Yeah, let's let's be clear on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, Wolfman Josh is going to be along here just any minute, everybody, so never fear. And as far as Dr. Shock, he sent us a voicemail tonight about his absence and I just thought I would play it here because it's um it's very cool and I was impressed that he took the time it made me feel like he cares about us everybody so here is Dr. Shock's voicemail real quick hello everybody the horror movie podcast this is Dr. Shock really upset that I couldn't be there for the the New Year's episode but anyway I really wish I could be there I'm actually calling I'm on break at work right now and that's the reason I'm not able to make it we have overnights and I've been doing that, that all through holiday week, and I'm doing it again through um, the week of New Year's. Uh, but I did want to uh, wish a happy and healthy New Year to my three esteemed co-hosts, Jay, Josh, and Kyle, Dr. Walking Dead Bishop. I'm looking forward to the upcoming year. I think we've got uh, some interesting shows lined up, and they're definitely with the Friday the 13th. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. And to all the listeners out there, thank you so much for your support in 2014. All your great comments over on the on the message board, the personal messages you sent me on Twitter and email. I've appreciated them all, and um, it means so much knowing that you're out there listening and you're enjoying the show. And I'm um, looking forward to 2015. I might have said that already, but I'll say it again. All right, Happy New Year, everyone, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. There he is. He even gave you a shout out, Kyle. Oh, that was nice. Because you're one of us. But uh, Doctor Shuck. <laughs> You know, I'm anxious for you two to get the podcast together more, to have the two mad doctors on here. I think that'll be really interesting. (laughs) Jay of the Dead here, cutting in with a post-production note. First of all, sorry this episode was five days late. My goal for 2015 is to find a way to release on time every time, except when a new horror movie hits theaters on the Friday that we're scheduled to release. In that case, the episode should be up by Saturday. But know this, damn it, unless I'm in the ground, Horror Movie Podcast will keep coming to you because we are dead serious about horror movies. So here's the agenda for this episode, and I think it will be worth the wait. Number one, Dr. Walking Dead helps us give an in-depth analysis and review of One of the Dead, which is a zombie flick from Cuba. Next, we discuss what was by far the most haunting film that I saw during 2014, and it wasn't even a horror film. Then Wolfman Josh introduces his brand new segment to you, which you will love. Longtime listeners of this show, you won't believe your ears. 
And then I'll bring you our feature review of the first horror film in theaters for 2015, The Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death. Special guest One Sick Puppy of the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast joins me for that review. And then Wolfman Josh and Jay of the Dead proudly, or (laughs) semi-proudly, present to you Horror Movie Podcast's Top 10 Horror Movies of 2014, along with a few other 2014 horror lists. And then we'll conclude with a 2014 year in review, where we'll briefly give you some of the highlights from the 32 episodes that we've released during 2014. So without further delay, we got a special surprise tonight, a little film that we're going to be reviewing, and this is um, a pick by our good friend here, Dr. Walking Dead, and this is our feature review of One of the Dead. People have recommended One of the Dead to me for quite some time, saying that this is, this is really kind of an important film. Uh, that it's kind of getting back to some of the roots of zombie cinema, particularly in its kind of low-budget nature and its its use of it's kind of its clever blending of horror with comedy, uh, the use of unknown actors, and of course, uh, really overt, gripping social commentary and criticism. Mm-hmm. And what's particularly interesting to me of the last few years is uh, we've really seen an opening up of the zombie film in international markets where for, for a very long time it was just England and, and America, America first. And then we had the Italian phase, of course, in the 70s and 80s. Um, but only now, the last five, six years uh, in this kind of renaissance we're in, are we starting to see other countries produce their own version of the zombie film uh, where they're either going to tap into their own cultural heritage like Dead Snow does uh, in Norway or something like One of the Dead, which is really playing with Romero's formula and saying, we're going to take that and we're going to play with it. But One of the Dead is is more than just kind of a, a low budget or even low brow zombie comedy. Uh, it's it's playing around with the expectations of the genre. It's operating with an awareness of the genre and the popularity it has today. And then it has just this amazingly critical social commentary. So I put off watching it uh, just because I had a lot of other stuff to do. And as luck would have it, <laughs> uh, I screened this film the day after... Uh, the United States re-engaged with uh, a diplomatic relations with Cuba. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a weird moment to watch it because the film is so overtly critical of Cuba's own government and uh, the, the relationship it had with America. And to, to watch it now, it's kind of interesting that it's already a little bit dated. Uh, but, of course, a lot of the stuff that's going on in Cuba is still very, very relevant today. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jay, are you well-versed in Cuban politics and contemporary uh, Cuban social problems? Honestly, I'm not. I had um, a humanities class. No, maybe it wasn't humanities. It was um, anthropology. Oh, anthropology, yeah. For, forgive me. I feel like a moron on here. I had a an anthropology class where they actually the professor talked a good bit about it, but it was several years ago, and um, it has not stuck with me. I regret to inform my friend here who is 
a professor himself. So please um, educate me and catch no, everybody no, I, up. No, <laughs> no, I was hoping that you would know that so you could tell me. <laughs> Listeners, we need you to uh, write in and post how wrong we are. Okay. Because uh, we're going to delve into the ignorant person's guide to Cuban politics. Uh, what I recall from my similar courses, and Jay's going to either back me up or contribute here, mm -hmm. is that Cuba is a communist country mm -hmm. uh, that has been, that the America kind of got involved and then there, we, we set up like a puppet government and it was overthrown by a revolution and Castro took over with kind of a militaristic socialistic state. And there was a, a problem with nuclear missiles and Kennedy, but it was Solved by the uh, the X Men apparently, who, uh, <laughs> who who diffused the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's what I've learned from movies. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, and then of course we we did this trade embargo and we wouldn't deal with them, which always was weird to me why we wouldn't have diplomatic relations with Cuba, but we would with China. <laughs> but I don't know a whole lot about that. Uh, but some of the things that people probably remember from their own lifetime is is you know boat people, people who would get boats mm -hmm. and and actually sail from from Cuba to Florida as illegal immigrants to try to escape from Cuba. Uh, of course, we all know about Cuban cigars and, and this really valuable market that has become uh, was a was a black market commodity because it was illegal to sell them in America. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's kind of how the trade was working. Uh, a lot of propaganda in Cuba about the evil capitalist Americans and how Americans are trying to undermine their way of life. And then the last bit of information I know I learned from Michael Moore uh, from from his sicko. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is you can go to Cuba and get prescription drugs for super cheap because uh, they have a better, better health care system than we did. Wow. So that's, that's kind of what I know about Cuba. Uh, <laughs> and I don't speak of the Spanish either, so uh, I had to rely on the subtitles to get through this film. Same. But I think that's kind of enough to know to get the gist of what's going on in the film and to recognize that it's quite a subversive film politically because uh, it is targeting a lot of the, the problems that are happening in Cuba. But at the same time, and back me up on this, Jay, if, if you agree, mm -hmm. I found it to be an incredibly uh, patriotic film. <laughs> Uh, about Cuba. Yeah, ironically, yeah, especially um, Juan himself, the lead character, right? Are you yeah. talking about, in, in particular, I mean, there's a lot of critique, but in particular, his actions in the film. Oh, yeah, and especially the ending. Yes. It's kind of, you know, Juan becomes this champion of Cuba and the island. Yeah, because he's a survivor, Kyle. He is a survivor. <laughs> That's right. But with all that preamble uh, aside, uh, to let the fans know if they haven't seen it yet, and you should check it out. Uh, it's not on streaming, uh, not through Netflix. You, you'll have to procure it through other means. But I think it's definitely worth the watch. Mm -hmm. um, basically, it's it's about a neighborhood in Cuba, a poor neighborhood in Havana, uh, with a bunch of like petty criminals and thugs and and prostitutes and and poor old people that live in this this kind of more ghetto-type neighborhood. And uh, mysteriously and unexpectedly, as is always the case, zombies start to break out. Uh, they're quite infectious, uh, and they, they transmit the illness through bites. And the neighborhood really has to kind of come together and defend each other and defend themselves. And the apartment building itself becomes the, the point of fortification and defense. And as the government collapses and the and the the military collapses and the people are overrun, 
this unlikely group of heroes, these, these kind of, uh, odd, odd group, they become <laughs> the true heroes of the film. Yes. Now, and that there is a movie and I could not remember it. There's something of the block. There's a movie like this, uh, Jay attack the block. Yeah. Attack the block. It's mm-hmm. a, that's an alien invasion one, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a similar premise. The idea of these just good folksy f- people rising to the occasion and, and taking care of each other uh, like they, they normally would as neighbors. And I kind of sure. liked that message. It's, it's also very reminiscent of um, Dance of the Dead, which is, you know, there's like a prom or a big dance going on. And so all the cool kids are at the prom where the outbreak occurs and it ends up being the, the geeks and the nerds who couldn't get dates who end up trying to yeah. battle the zombies. And that's actually a good one. That's from 2008. But this one has a bunch of just slackers and ne'er-do-wells who end up being the, the hero group, so to speak. And that's part of the socialism, I think, the pro-socialism message, mm-hmm. is that everyone's kind of equal, and they they do have a social contract, and, and they are kind of communal, and they take care of each other. And there's some interesting family dynamics, which I think uh, it wouldn't be a, a good zombie movie if there weren't. Right. Because you've got a father with an estranged daughter. That's Juan and his daughter. Uh, you've got uh, his best friend and his son. And and then you kind of have these these kind of very unusual characters. Um, I thought it was really kind of impressive for a Cuban movie to feature uh, a transvestite lead, which we don't see very often in American cinema. Yeah. Uh, it was the, the, the giant hulking strong man passes out at the sight of blood. Right. <laughs> so he has to fight the zombies with a blindfold on, which is a nice kind of humorous twist to give the, the big guy the, the most debilitating weakness. <laughs> and that gives you a real sense of the flavor of this film too. Yeah, it, it, there is a flavor indeed. Uh, and like I said at the top, it is a comedy, but I think like Shaun of the Dead, it's a comedy that doesn't completely undermine or diminish the horror. Mm-hmm. And it does have some pretty good kills and graphics and, and some, uh, some grossness. Yeah. I mean, especially for the, you know, the budget, which I imagine was, you know, somewhat modest, they pull some of it off pretty well. So. Yeah. They, they, the explosions and the big scale stuff is pretty DIY CGI stuff. Yeah. Uh, but some of the practical effects are good and it's not CGI effects. Um, one of the, the most memorable moments is uh, the, our, our heroes are trapped in the center of a square surrounded by a hundred zombies. <laughs> and this really strange, I don't know, was he Australian or something? I, I thought <laughs> this, so. This weird white guy uh, comes by with a harpoon and, and stabs the harpoon in a pole and tells all the living people to duck. And then he drives in a circle and decapitates all the zombies <laughs> with the harpoon line, which is completely incredulous. Yes. But as a as a a scholar of zombie films, I can definitively say I have never seen that done before. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's new. What I about- think it's it's the most zombies killed in the single shot without the use of high explosives. I think I'm going to make that claim. Wow. I I bet you're right. I never thought of it that way. But back to when you talked about the um representation of socialism where every individual is contributing to society. How does that, how do you think that plays in this film where they take this 
I mean, they call themselves, at one point they use the word altruistic, but actually right. they kind of exploit the situation by putting together this um, oh, yes. this business of sorts. So what, what are your thoughts yeah, on let's, that? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's okay. why this film, I think, is much more complicated than people give it credit. Because mm-hmm. um, on the one hand, before the zombie outbreak, they're horrible socialists. Uh, because they're thieves and they're fighting the system and they aren't playing into the the, the communist dream. They're not doing their jobs. Right. Uh, so they're kind of bad communists, and that's why they label themselves altruists. But they really mean – I think it's a malpropism. I think they're using it wrong on purpose. Yeah, right. Um, and then it becomes, okay, the zombie outbreak, let's take care of each other. Let's help the old people. Let's Let's save people. And then they say, well, let's turn this into a business. Uh, we will we will kill your family members because it's very difficult to kill your own family members. So you can call these guys if your dad or your uncle or your brother turns into a zombie, and they'll come and do the dirty work for you <laughs> at a cost. Yeah. So yeah, and this is where the film takes an interesting turn. So suddenly, in the heart of Havana, these guys become capitalists. I see. Okay. Uh, and they become and and they're expression of socialism is through capitalist uh dealings <laughs> now i may be way out of on a limb here but i've been critical of china for many years because it seems to me like china is one of the most successful capitalist countries in the world <laughs> everything in my house is made in because china <laughs> every everything we have comes from them and they they understand supply and demand better than anybody mm-hmm. so is there this sense of of cuba kind of having uh this capitalist drive that they're kind of disguising and uh, as socialism and that's again why it was so interesting to watch it right when the trade embargo went down are we going to see cuba like in the in the cigar industry suddenly become a a player in the capitalist world market yeah. now what really interests me about that is when they be, when they start this business to me, it stopped reminding me of a zombie movie, and it became Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. So did you notice that parallel? Yeah, I, I thought of that. I'm like, this is very Ghostbusters-like, actually, because they're there to fight um, the monsters. But real quick, I want to break in here to welcome our good friend, the Wolfman, Josh Legary. Welcome. Wanderlos Mertos, we kill your beloved. <laughs> There it is. There's the the greatest Cuban business since the cigar. (laughs) Yeah. Now, just real quick on that very business idea. Do you think it was successful? I'm just curious because maybe this is a business idea if the zombie apocalypse ever breaks out. Do you think it was successful because people didn't have the heart to kill their own family members? I mean, were they they kind of leaning on that whole... um, part of zombie cinema where that's one of the worst things that people face is having to kill someone they love? Or do you think it was just a matter of people didn't have the expertise and know how to kill them? I thought it was more the latter. I mean, I think the the former is more interesting to me, um, but they don't really show us any of that in the movie. Um, in this film, we see a bunch of criminals basically are the people who are going to go out and become the zombie apocalypse saviors. And so I think they are using their kind of um, skills that they've acquired doing underhanded deeds to, uh, to turn that into a profit and rather than, rather than just killing off the beloved, even though that is kind of the tagline, you know, for the business, I don't really see, I didn't really see that in the movie unless I just happened to miss it. But Well, and I think that's part of it is because the people they're helping quote unquote 
are generally, if I remember correctly, older, infirm, uh, less capable, yeah, uh, more kind of middle upper class, and so they really are trying to exploit. Uh, and I think we could do a pretty sophisticated reading of this. They're exploiting the people who have money but who have no skills. Mm-hmm. And and so, like Josh says, they they can't kill their family members because they don't even have those basic survival skills anymore. But what they do have is a bunch of worthless money and valuables and golden gems and whatever. So I, I think I think Josh is probably right, and I like how you started the answer because I wish it were the other as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, we know when you go back to the source here with with uh, Night of the Living Dead, the the reason Barbara gets killed at the climax of that film is because she can't cope with the sight of her brother as a zombie. Right. The reason Helen gets killed is she can't cope with the sight of her daughter as a zombie, and so there there is a a, a through line in the genre which is the family member zombie is the most deadly and dangerous and lethal because you can't do it. You can't bring yourself to, uh, to, to hit your dad in the head with, with a baseball bat, which is uh, visited cleverly near the end of the film when Sean, when Sean, see my nice Freudian slip, when, when Juan is, is asked to kill his best friend, uh, and he kind of proves to us that he would have no problem doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though that's not a, technically a spoiler, <laughs> right? Right. Right. So, um, Josh, what are some of your thoughts of this film? How did it strike you? I was happy to come in on the end of what Kyle was saying there about the capitalism versus socialism aspect of these characters. I think uh, it's a really interesting take on it. One that didn't really uh, jump to my the forefront of my mind, but it makes absolute perfect sense. It, it that's obviously what's going on there. They talk about not wanting to go to America because. They don't want to have to work, basically, you know. And right. Uh, <laughs> so I like I like those themes. They're definitely in there. I think where the, for me where this movie falls short of like a Ghostbusters is, and you know, and even on that um, again that tagline of "We kill your beloved," we don't really get to see a lot of that type of stuff. I want I wanted to see more of them just showing up at people's houses and and having to kill their loved ones. We just don't really get to see that kind of situation play out very often. Yeah. Only once, as I recall, where they actually answer a call, and then the where they um I guess it's a spoiler probably to say exactly what happens there, but um well, there's the creative montage they do like this kind of this musical sequence that shows them yeah. hitting their seems stride. Like a lot, it seems like a lot of that's though fighting zombies in the street as opposed to yeah really answering no, calls at homes the 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 business is definitely not the main part of the film. Uh, it's, it's kind of an, an act. It's maybe not even a full act of the, of the screenplay. Uh, and I, and I think that that's where they had some chance to be more sophisticated and not just be jokey. Yeah. Uh, because, because it is that play on why won't they go to America because they love taking advantage of the social welfare system. But when push comes to shove, they find themselves actually quite enchanted with, with capitalism. And, and, and it's so futile because they adopt a capitalist mindset right at the point in which the economy is no longer functioning. <laughs> so all the money they're making is useless. And the, the thing that becomes the most valuable in some ways, uh, the one to me, I thought it was a really clever device is the, the wall that Juan is gradually making out of the liquor bottles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because that becomes the, the commerce that they really care about is the alcohol, not the money. <laughs> but I don't know what it means. I just think it's cool how that wall gets bigger and bigger as the movie progresses. 
I mean, I feel like the I I couldn't really get a clear grasp of what the film was trying to say to me, and Kyle's you know has helped me sort that out a little bit. But I still feel like I had a lot of unanswered questions about where the film goes plot wise. I don't really get what they're trying to say toward the end of the film. And um, did you guys already talk about the source of the outbreak in this film? No, I I glossed over it. So let's okay. jump in on that. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. It seems to be. From the cucarachas, I don't think that's a spoiler to say necessarily, right? I mean, is that Mm-mm. is that how no. you guys um, interpreted it? It's implied, yeah. but but to me, what's more interesting is that the Cuban government immediately blames America, right? Oh yeah, and and then even <laughs> even throughout the whole film, they refer to them as what do they call them? Insurgents, not insurgents, dissidents. 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 That's, that's hilarious. Yes, that is, it is. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing that I I did like about this film a lot, and when I I kind of started paying closer attention, is we kind of have the two different storylines now. One is zombies invade a world in which there are no zombie films, and then zombies that invade a world in which the characters are aware of zombies and zombie films. And so Shaun of the Dead plays with it quite cleverly because it's a world where zombies are, are known and so Sean never wants to talk about it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. This film, this film kind of plays with the idea that this is a world in which zombies aren't known, and then you kind of find out no, they are known, just not by these groups of people. Uh, and so the the funniest part to me, which is which I thought was funny but not necessarily hilarious, is when when this this when Juan and his friends encounter their first zombie, which is an old man uh, yes. who's who's not supposed to be able to walk, but he can as a zombie. They, they're trying to figure out how to kill him by going through the litany of monsters. They do know. (laughs) (laughs) So they say, well, it, maybe it's a vampire. So they, they try to kill it the way they've been taught with vampires. So they use garlic (laughs) and they use wooden stakes and they're like, well, that didn't work. It must be a werewolf. Uh, but then they realize they don't have any silver bullets anyway. Uh, so then they decide maybe he's po- she. Now it's the the wife. Uh, maybe she's possessed of a demon. So they do this exorcism thing and they try to get her with a cross. Um, and it's only kind of by accident that they figure out that you have to destroy the brain uh, in yeah. order to destroy these creatures. But I really liked that because it is kind of a clever twist and i don't know if this was intentional this is probably me overreading it but it's it's ironic that a caribbean nation would be the location where people are ignorant of the zombie <laughs> right uh, because you would think cubans would know more about zombies than anybody except haitians but but these guys don't know anything perhaps because of communism i don't know is it a, is that a critique of of Castro's regime, I don't know. Or is it just um, kind of a simple commentary that, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, are they just saying that that's a Romero type of convention or a later in the zombie lore is destroy the brain, right? Or was right. that always um, something? Because maybe that's why they're not familiar with it. Well, destroy the brain works with a lot of things. That's uh, true. But that's that's why I think I'm overreading it. I would love for there to be some kind of commentary on Caribbean politics and voodoo, and I just don't think it's there. Uh, but it does make for a very interesting twist. Well, they're definitely conflicted about their homeland, you know, throughout the film. Um, it seemed like most of the characters we're dealing with don't want to be there. Uh, there's, you know, the daughter who lives in Spain. There are these right. the younger guy who wants to get you his know, name to California. And wants right. to go to the U.S. and carries an American flag around with him. 
in his backpack. <laughs> I mean, you know, it seems like they're not. And, you know, he, and he even says, you know, if I find a place where they've never heard of Fidel Castro, I'm staying there. You know, that's right. That's a great line. And, and I think the three of us are missing that there's probably some interesting Cuba versus Spain politics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I just didn't get because there's a lot of jokes about Spain or the the, the daughter does make about Cuban, and those just kind of went way over my head. But I do like that America isn't the sum-all, be-all of, of, of utopia. Mm-hmm. There is clearly a disillusionment with that as well, and that's why the idea of finding a place that is not on either side yeah. is really the goal. Well, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you guys. From, from my research, this appears to be a Cuban film and a Spanish film. It's like, how is it from Cuba and from Spain? I mean, I know it's in Spanish. No, we're just referring to the funding, I'm, I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah, I think Cuba and Spain have decent diplomatic relations. Okay. But again, this is this is us making up stuff. Right. <laughs> With, to Wikipedia, listeners. And then uh, inform us in the comments. Yes, exactly. Uh, but see, this is, and, and Josh, this is how I read the ending. The, the ending to me was kind of this wonderful, bittersweet uh, ambivalence where Juan is like, you know what? I hate this country and the country's lost and it's full of monsters, but you know what? <laughs> it's still my country. Right, yeah. It's still my homeland. And uh, for whatever, even if, even if Juan is the last man alive, you know, the last man on earth for Cuba, He's going to, he's not going to leave. He's, he's, and I like that because then we find out that he wasn't not leaving Cuba because he was lazy. He wasn't not leaving Cuba because he hated America. He really was not leaving Cuba because he loves Cuba. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the message that sends in a way, which is you can be really dissatisfied with your home country and still love your country. Yeah. Uh, and because I get tired of that rhetoric when anyone criticizes the United States, the reply is, we'll leave. <laughs> yeah. Why, right. why don't you move to Canada if you hate it so much? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I, I still love the country. I'm still a patriotic, but I'm not happy about everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I do love that kind of apocalyptic patriotism of the socialist, capitalist, renegade. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Juan is just such an interesting character and is so obviously based on Sean, whereas Sean uses a cricket bat and, and Juan uses a uh, baseball bat. Yeah. Again, the, the national the pat- sport of paddle. Yeah. It's kind of like the, uh, cause there's a lot of baseball jokes as well because Cuba baseball. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I thought that, uh, I think there is more there than just the schlock. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i mean i think it's kind of a smart film actually and i remember when my friends reviewed this um my friends of the weekly horror movie podcast people like bill shetty and tara tovey and those guys they were really hard on it i had not seen it yet but they were really unimpressed so i wasn't expecting much at all from this but but they don't like comedy in their horror do that do they no bill shetty definitely does not um, either does jason usually (laughs) yeah that's true and and this is in terms of horror i mean there's some gore in it and stuff but i mean it's not it's not scary i mean it has scenes that are a little more tense but yeah it's not it's not scary scary but but there are some moments that no one's done before Mm -hmm. uh there is a sequence when uh when he gets caught between a window and the, the 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 bars on the window 
and yeah. he really can't move, and he's getting assaulted by the zombies through the bars. Yeah, and I that was pretty intense, and and that yes. idea of of being trapped and claustrophobic and having all the you know the menacing creatures. That was one that stuck out to me as being pretty terror-oriented. It, rem- it reminds me a little bit of H2O, though, a little bit. Halloween H2O in that yeah. that sequence. But yes, yes, I, well, I, I yeah. agree. I did like that, though. Yeah, absolutely. It was cool. I mean, that one was good. and then you, But then you would flip around and have the, what happens when the guy you're handcuffed to turns into a zombie. <laughs> that, yeah, that is an amazing scene. Um, it's really, really <laughs> unique and weird scene. And, you know, there's another really over the top zombie kill scene with a truck and a harpoon. Uh, we talked about that. Okay. I mean, that is, that <laughs> is insane. But. Yeah. I, I basically said the, the whole, whole movie is worth watching for that sequence. If you're a zombie <laughs> fan, mm-hmm. cause you, you won't, you have never seen anything like that. No, no, absolutely not. Well, I one, have- of the, one of the montages is good too when they do a lot of really over the top slow motion and like karate stuff and wire walking <laughs> and and with the guy blindfolded and yeah they're, I don't know. They're, that was pretty good there was a there was a series of quite clever kills I thought yeah there was I wish there had been more of that stuff I, you know I overall I didn't love the cor- the fight choreography I felt like it just didn't have it lacked a certain intensity for me, and I, I think that stuff was the stuff that was working the best for me. Even though it was very over the top, it was it was very fun. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, if listeners are um, fans of the martial arts films, there's I think there is a um, a little Bolo Young uh, shout out. He's the Chinese Hercules because there <laughs> are some martial arts like callbacks, but there is a. There's his one of his trademark moves is the the jump and double foot stomp where you you know you crush the head and <laughs> and uh, it's super cool and I'm like oh they they were referencing Bolo Young there I think that's so awesome anyway there's a lot of referentiality in this which I liked mm-hmm. so it's it's making fun of other zombie movies it's homaging it's got the Ghostbusters thing um, and I bet there's quite a bit of Cuban cinema being referenced that we're just missing and speaking of referencing I mean. Obviously, we've mentioned it quite a bit, and it's the elephant in the room. So, clearly, I think this was largely inspired by Shaun of the Dead, but is, do you think it's like Cuba's take? Do they say, do you think they just decided, hey, we want to make our own version of this Shaun of the Dead concept? Yes. Yeah, yeah. just that simple, huh? I mean, okay. there are, are ultimately very different films, Yeah, uh, but it's yeah, it's also clearly inspired by it. But, I mean, there's there's other... Hispanic names than ones that rhyme with Sean <laughs> and, True. and uh, the idea of taking some deadbeats and this, this kind of group of people that aren't very likable or productive citizens. I mean, there's, there's enough parallels there. Yeah. Uh, the, they're not the doing the, yeah. The, the, the paddle and they're not doing that. We've got to get from one location to another. Uh, but, but the stuff's there and the love, the love thing is there. And, I think it's overt, and I think it's their way of saying this is Cuba's version of it, and I think they do it. I think they succeed. Yeah. Probably never thought it would make it to America that we could <laughs> critique them in this way. <laughs> right. Earlier we mentioned Terror Toby, and he is a fan of comedy horror, and one of his favorite films all time is Shaun of the Dead, and he was not happy with this film. And so I wonder, I mean, for people who are just dazzled by Shaun of the Dead – you know, in terms of comedy, horror, and like entertainment value, unless you're appreciating, I think, some of these more political commentary 
references. Maybe it is a somewhat underwhelming if you stand it next to Shaun of the Dead. Do you guys think so? Um, well, I think just from a filmmaking point, like a yeah. technique craft point of view and like comedy writing, I think Shaun is more successful. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is very unique, you know, despite being so heavily based on Shaun of the Dead. I think it's very unique to see something obviously set in Cuba and actually set in Cuba, which we don't really ever get to see. Um, I don't know. I thought, I think it's a really unique film and uh, I was glad to have been able to see it, but yeah, I mean, putting up, I think Shaun of the Dead is probably one of the great horror comedies ever. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shaun's hard to top. I mean, most, uh, most of the U S zombie films don't come up to that standard. And, and I think that there is, I'm not saying this about any of the people you've mentioned, but mm-hmm. you know it is subtitled, which is sometimes a bit of a distraction, yeah. and it's a low budget, which is sometimes disappointing. Yeah. Uh, but 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 I like seeing other nations kind of jump in on this mm-hmm. and to see what they can come up with. And I really do like this idea of of presenting the zombie in nationalistic terms. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this is what a Cuban zombie looks like, not just this is a zombie movie made by Cubans. Right. And I think that's an interesting distinction. And I'd love to see, man, I would love to do a class if if there were ever enough of these movies where you could do a different country a week. Zombies and around talk the world. Of, yeah, zombies around the world and, and kind of see how the zombie manifests differently in different cultures. Because um, I love Dead Snow uh, a, a great deal. Um, has the sequel yeah. come out yet? And I just missed it. Yeah, yes. it yeah, it was great. Have you have we reviewed it? Yes, um, we we saw it at Sundance last year. Ah, talked about it. You lucky suckers. <laughs> but it's it's <laughs> definitely worth your time, especially if you love the first one. The second one's yeah. Great no, too. I need I need to see it. Yeah, it's worth it. But, you know, Kyle, you should, people off the podcast, the listeners probably aren't aware of this, but I harass Kyle all the time about doing his own podcast and his own kind of things like this because I think he's so entertaining. What if you did a podcast series of these classes of zombie cinema around the world? That would be good, brother. I think that would be awesome after I'm not department chair. <laughs> okay. Well, just... Don't send them away. Do that on Horror Movie Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do it so with true. you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'd love to help. That'd be great. When I said a little bit ago it is a smart film, it's not just smart on the political level. I think it's also smart in some of its filmmaking, too. Like, for example, there is a scene that, you know, basically all hell breaks loose and and it is all inspired by this little bug there's like a a cockroach on the wall or something and then you have this absolute mayhem and then at the very end of the scene it's somewhat subtle but the all you see left is the bug again crawling on the wall and that's what initiated the scene it's kind of bookended with that bug and i'm like wow well done i mean that is very i think that's good stuff I think there's moments of inspiration. It felt a little film schooly to me. I don't know how Josh feels, uh, where there was some kind of standard. We got to have this kind of shot, and we got to try this out. Yeah. But but I think there were enough of those moments where you went, "Oh, nice. That's nice." I mean, for me, yeah. For me, I I just don't know enough about Cuban film to really be able to comment on where this sits in the 
pantheon of Cuban filmmaking, but you know, I, I, it does feel a little thrown together at times for me, but I, I appreciated those kinds of moments that, yeah, they're on the nose maybe a little bit, but I, I, I like to see thought put into the structure in that way and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you guys mentioned the handcuff scene and yeah. I think the handcuff <laughs> scene is interesting but it's a little too over the top for me. It's a little too much in the comedy realm because, you know, because of the, well, what it, it ends up It's portraying. very, very silly. Yeah. And it's a little too long. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, again, it's something new. And and for me, <laughs> I, I get pretty tired of seeing the same stuff with zombies. And so that's something I've sure as... I've never seen before. So. Yeah, you've never seen it before. But yeah, and it also really works really well. You know, as on the zombie level, everything makes sense. Like the reason they're in the state they are makes sense. Um, you know, and then once the once the horror starts, I think it's a great. You know, just like in the thing, it's a great situation to find yourself in in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but they really also effective. I think. Yeah, because they show that they know the genre and they know the, the system they're working in uh, to me. And this is a little spoilery, but the, the highlight of the whole film was when Juan's trying to do a Q and a to help people understand what's going on. And, and someone's like, how come sometimes the zombies are fast and sometimes they're slow? <laughs> yeah, and he that. says, that's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it's clearly, that this is this is made by a bunch of people who love American zombie movies, and are going to kind of play with the uh, the lack of continuity and the ambiguity, yeah, and, and then just kind of do whatever the hell they want, right. uh, and, and play around with this different type of infection and different types of zombies and different types of behaviors, and kind of like early Romero, there's no rule book unless someone retroactively applies it to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I like that. It's kind of guerrilla filmmaking uh, for the zombies. <laughs> well, one last comment from me on the um, the the handcuff scene. Sorry, I, since we've been talking a little bit of mild spoilers in this, I just want to talk about that. And there is something interesting about it. It's a handcuff scene, and and he's trying to avoid the the zombie who's attached to him. And it ends up coming out like a dance scene. It looks like they're dancing. And the music... I thought you were talking about a totally different scene. No, that's the scene I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were talking about in the back of the truck. Yeah, no, that's another good scene, too. (laughs) Yeah. But but so this dancing scene, I mean, the, the soundtrack is really overt. I mean, they put this dancing number with it. But here's the thing that is kind of fascinating that I'll give them credit for this. If you... If you look at it and you listen to the soundtrack, you're like, oh, he's dancing with a zombie. That's really irritating in a horror film to me. But then I thought, okay, but look at it, the choreography and the blocking and everything. Look at it like he's trying to avoid this zombie, and it works on that level too. So it is, I have to give him credit, it is pretty impressive on both levels. I'm thinking of the other scene now that Josh brought us to that one. That is very, was very evocative of the thing to me. Yeah. I think that's what Josh said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that is kind of a cool tense moment uh, that gets a little schlocky, but if you really think about it for what it is, it's terrifying. Cause you know, what happens when you're all chained together and some of you are monsters and some of you aren't. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah. It, it's good stuff. Yes, it is. Well, let's wrap up this review and give our just final thoughts and our ratings. And we'll start with, um, 
the Wolfman, Josh Legary. You know, I I didn't dislike the film, but um, you know, I appreciated just kind of the rarity that it was for me to get to see a a zombie movie out of Cuba. But honestly, you guys have uh, helped me appreciate it more than I had. Um, I was planning on coming in here around a six. I'm I'm going to kick it up to a seven, um, mm. and I would say rent it. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And for me, yeah, it's a six out of ten. It's a rental if you're okay with comedy horror. I'm usually not, but it's smart enough a film that I actually enjoy myself, despite some of the comedy. Um, Kyle, what do you say? Uh, I'm also going with the seven. I'm with Josh on this one. Uh, I think fans of the, the the genre who like zombie movies and are aware of the history of the zombie movie will find this refreshing. And frankly, uh, I think it's good for Americans to watch some foreign film and read some subtitles. Yeah. And the Cuban <laughs> politics are really fascinating. I just wish I knew more about them so I could get even more out of it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys. So that's a seven. You say rent it, Kyle? Rent it, yeah. You should check it out. All right. Very good. All right. So um, before we let Kyle go, I know he's got stuff to do. I I wanted to talk to you about a documentary that's just super fascinating me. I wanted to get your take on it. And I always love talking to Josh about documentaries because that is his thing. And so this year in 2014, I watched a lot of good films and... We'll talk later in the show about the 2014 horror films that we like, but one of my favorite, most chilling, most haunting things that I saw in 2014 wasn't even a horror film. It was a documentary called The Bridge from 2006. And, you know, like horror movies, The Bridge puts us face to face with death and it causes us to consider our own own mortalities. This is the one about the suicides? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the deaths depicted in this film are actually real. They occurred, and um, what happened is this filmmaker set up for a whole year at the Golden Gate Bridge because it turns out that I think that's the second most used suicide site in the world. And so they just had he had his crew filming, you know, around the clock on for a whole year, and I think there were something like twenty three or 24 suicides that year, and they caught 23 of them. And a lot of them are in the film. And, you know, they zoom in and stuff. And so you can kind of see it happen. Uh, it is not, um, it's not gory or anything, they, you know, but it's still extremely disturbing. Now, the reason I ended up watching this, because I typically am not the kind of person who would be okay with, you know, watching actual deaths in film. But I really wondered if the filmmaker was trying to do something exploitative or if he mm. if he had a purpose in teaching us about suicide. Because half of the, you know, they show those shots, but then a lot of the film is him meeting with the family members of the people who jumped and talking and exploring that person's life and trying to find out what led them to this. Well, I've, I got one question. Mm-hmm. When, whenever the the film crew would notice someone getting on the railing, yes. would they do something? Would they call the police? Would they? Yes, they did. Would they try to prevent the suicide? Yeah, they would call the um the the bridge patrol. And by the <clears> way, <throat> they I don't remember them 
stating that in the film itself, but in the special features on the film, the making of, it's a short little thing on the making of the film, which I'd recommend. They they do talk about that and how it was upsetting to them. It was traumatic, but they still kept filming because that was their job. But um, so, yeah, they did try to call and prevent it from happening. But a lot of times, you know, they weren't successful. So how well, do you feel about be, this? That would, that would be the determining factor for me. If they're documenting something uh, that they're powerless to prevent or control, that's a little bit different to me. And if they are like taking efforts to prevent the suicides and using it as an opportunity to talk about the the problems surrounding it and talk to the family, and I'm assuming they've got per- they got permissions from the families for all this that they used. Um, to me, then it, it seems like there's a value beyond just exploitation and sensationalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they ended up doing that. I mean, they uh, the filmmaker he knew it was going to be kind of controversial, and he ended up uh, going into this by I, I won't say he was shady about it, but he was kind of quiet about what he was doing, of course, and he filmed it. And then after it was over, uh, according to the IMDb trivia, he ended up approaching the family members. And they were all, it's weird, they were all okay with it. Or, and then and they felt like some sort of, I, I was shocked by that, but they felt some sort of like peace or just the fact that he was a, I don't know, they saw the final moments of their their family. And there, there are no scenes in it where it's like he's sitting there with the family and they're watching it for the first time. So I will say the director, Eric Steele, he does not exploit the families in that way either. Right. Well, I don't think I have a problem with it because one of my favorite uh, documentaries of all time is the, the grizzly bear one, the grizzly man. Yeah. Uh, And that's, you could say is a film that exists because of somebody's tragic death. Uh, But I think if it's handled correctly, you know, we, we should, we should be willing to examine all aspects of humanity and life. And that includes death. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just how how is it handled? And the thing about that film, what Herzog does that's so brilliant uh, and wonderful is he does not play the audio for the audience, right? Uh, which which to me would have been crossing a line. And he doesn't have the video either. He only has audio, so he only has the audio, and he and we li- we watch him listen to it, right? But he refuses to let us hear it, which is was a class move. Yeah, but he describes what he's hearing as well. Yeah, but that's to me that's enough removed that it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Knowing Herzog, I feel like <laughs> he probably knew that would be even more impactful because you're using your imagination. You know? Well, yeah, Herzog's an interesting dude. <laughs> he could say that again. Yeah. So anyway, the the bridge is, you know, I think one of the reasons for whatever reason. We are fascinated by horror movies because it is a face-to-face look at death and coming to terms with our mortality. And The Bridge is one of those films that I have done that the most with because you see it happening and it's haunting. It really sticks with you. And so I think that it's an important film. I think it's uh, really unique. I mean, I don't know of any other films quite like this and... You know, I, I thought it's tremendous. Josh, what do you think about the bridge? Oh man, I don't know. It's it's such a tricky situation because uh, I don't know. I I don't know how to feel about the exploitation factor because I feel like okay, you know, 
we have war photographers for a reason. You know, we send filmmakers and photographers into the front lines of deadly situations all the time, hoping to bring back something that can help teach us about what's taking place there. And so in some ways this is really no different. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's just trickier, I guess, you know, because it's not in a, in a battlefield type of situation. And because these people are in such a state of despair, um, obviously, you know, it's, it's more emotional in, in some ways or more difficult to kind of, um, deal with uh in a in an objective way i guess um so i don't know i think i think it makes sense that we're having all these kinds of conversations around the film um there are some amazing moments in the film and i think it is valuable um as a starting point to talk about suicide i think some of the most impactful moments to me are like when suicides don't take place in the film there's a there's a mm-hmm. scene where uh, a lady's trying to jump off the bridge and a guy is able to grab her and pull her up and basically hold her down until the police get there. I mean, that's, that's as impactful as seeing someone actually jump, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it definitely has value as a film. I <laughs> like from the filmmaking standpoint, I, I don't, I wish it was better shot. I kind of hate the look of the film and stuff, but that's, Probably neither here nor there for most of the listeners, but um, it bugs me that it has that kind of cheesy TV documentary look to the interviews and stuff. I think it kind of distracts from me, and and I honestly I wouldn't even have minded if he'd um, been with the families when they were watching the footage because I think that's real, and you know he's he's giving them that opportunity. I don't know. It reminds me of that Rolling Stones documentary, I guess when when he sh- the filmmakers are showing them the footage of the of the hell's angels murder at their concert. So I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it, it's such a fine line between filmmaking and journalism. And I think because it's a movie, people look at it as entertainment, but you know, obviously documentary films are also serving as some sort of journalism. And then where do you draw the line with journalism? Is that different than something that's going to show in the local theater? I don't know the answer to that. I just think it's kind of a messy situation. And, yeah, I'm glad I'm not the one that made that movie. But yeah, I'm, I think it's I think it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, it's it's probably not for everybody, honestly. If you could take it, it is it is pretty difficult viewing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a huge downer, and there is no resolution or solution of, about the film, which is probably what a suicide is like for you know a lot of families who experience that. I mean, I don't know myself, but I, I, I will... think if you were going through it, this would maybe be cathartic though to see other people talking about it in this way. I think it's maybe or I mean or too much. I don't know. I guess that's up to the individual to decide, sure. but I should say this film was inspired by an article in um the New Yorker magazine in 2003. The article was called Jumpers. I actually read it and um it's very fascinating. It's by Tad Friend, if you can track that down. But for me, this documentary is um, just one of the most just unforgettable things I've ever seen. And it's uh, 9 out of 10. I mean, for me, it's a buy. I actually own it. And I'd call it a, a must-see if you feel like that you can tolerate it. So I just thought I'd mention that because it was truly the most haunting film that I saw in 2014. Mm-hmm. You think you'll check that out someday, Kyle, or what do you think? 
I don't know, man. <laughs> I like, I think I've mentioned on, on this show or maybe one of the other shows, I really like my horror to be fake and supernatural and unlikely. Right. right. Which is why I don't watch home invasion narratives. Uh, so anything that's even kind of toying with the snuff film, I get, I get pretty skittish. Yeah. Uh, if your a description of it is fascinating and I'm very curious but I think I'd need to be in a good place to, to watch it. Yeah. Well, if you ever want me to mail it to you, I'll, I'll mail it to you so you can check it out if you wish. All right. <laughs> no I'll pressure. Think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, thank you for being here tonight. Um, we appreciate you taking the time again. And so c- can you give the listeners an idea of um, our plans for 2015? Kyle, we got... Yeah, I'll, I'll give some heads up of things that I want to do. First, I want to thank my friend Josh here. He sent me some comic books in the mail. And uh, that's just nice. Not everybody oh. does that kind of thing. Um, of you also sent me a, a stamp collector's guide. Was that supposed to be in the envelope? <laughs> no, that was that was just to stop them from being damaged. But you may keep oh, okay. stamp collector's guide as well. That was just I to- was not I was not sure if you thought I was a stamp collector or not. <laughs> uh, but the- you seem like a stamp collector, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> well, I thank you for that as well, Josh. Um, we. I'm going to be, just for the fans, I, I, I teach. I, I run a department, an English department at Southern Utah University. So for the next four months, I'm going to be pretty booked up. But I have a couple things on the horizon that I want to bring to the podcast if, if it'll work out. Yes. Uh, one is I am finishing a second book. Uh, many of you know I wrote American Zombie Gothic, which is a, a pretty good overview of the Gothic, of the, the zombie narrative in the Gothic tradition during the 20th century. Uh, I'm wrapping up a book which is looking at how the zombie manifests in a variety of different media since 9-11. And so that book is going to hopefully come out this year. And I would love to do a show kind of as a as an unofficial launch of the book. Yes. And give a little bit of an overview of some of the things I'm hitting in the in the book. It's a little self-promotional, but I think it'll be of interest. Let's do it. it I think uh, it's totally of interest. And Kyle, let's take your self-promotion a step further. Could we get... Um, and I'll pay for these. Can we get an autographed copy of each of those books that we could give away to our listeners on the uh, <laughs> yes. on the show? Oh sure, oh sure. Awesome. And I don't I don't think you'd need to pay for them. I think I can get some comps. That would be very cool. So I now um, the manuscript was due yesterday. Uh, it is not done. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we better let it, you go. <laughs> it's going to be soon. Uh, just stay tuned. The other thing is we kind of have been talking about doing a state of the zombie mm-hmm. episode. Yes. Because it's been, you know, we're a good 10 years out of the so-called renaissance. We've been going through this for a while. And there's this movie, Maggie, coming up with Schwarzenegger in it, kind of a mainstream Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. And, of course, The Walking Dead is as big as ever, yes. uh, seeing huge ratings, et cetera. So I'd love to do uh, probably what for me would be a long podcast, maybe two-plus hours, to just kind of talk about where are we now? Where's where's the zombie now? Is it played is there still potential? Are we are we going around in circles with this thing or not? Yes. Um, Consider and, it and done. It's on the schedule. Let's so do it. I definitely want to do that. And then this summer, uh, once the book comes out, my summer will be freed up. So I'm going to try to – I'm not going to commit completely. But from J- June, July, and August, I, I'm really going to try to be on the show. Nice. So we'll see if we'll see if I can pull that off and bring it together. Um, and I also, and I haven't talked to the guys about this. I really want to do a special show 
where we look at a handful of, of narratives about people crawling out of graves. <laughs> yes. <let's> cool. <laughs> totally. I know that sounds extremely specialized, uh, but it. I've been, I'm writing a paper on images of, of the corpse or the, the resurrection or the monster or whatever it is actually crawling out of the earth. Uh, that image to me is really, really fascinating, and I and so I'd love to look at some of those texts. I cannot wait. So that's that's what I've been thinking about, boys. And one other thing on um, American Zombie Gothic, I'd actually I think it would be interesting, and I don't know if Josh will be around or available for this because he's doing some big traveling this year. But I would love to even talk to you about that book. Now, I don't know if you feel like that fits in with the state of the zombie or we could do a separate episode, like maybe preceding the launch of your sequel book or, I mean, what do you think? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And my publisher would probably love it. Okay. Yeah. That'd be fun. And so we can kind of, we can kind of record a show, which is, this is where we've been. Mm-hmm. And then the, cause that's the real idea. The, the first book is how we got here. And the second book is supposed to be, where are we now? And then this State of the Zombie episode would be, where do we go from here? Great. So I think it'd be a nice little little trilogy of podcasts. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, just send me your scheduling ideas and we will book it. Huh, Josh? Absolutely. Okay. Anytime Kyle can be here, I will make sure I'm here. Yes, yes. Oh, that's nice. Well, we appreciate you. Will you give out your uh, Twitter and anything else you want to promote, Kyle? My Twitter account has been a very gradual build. I, you guys are all the podcasting community is so good about getting followers. I'm not doing it right, but I do have a, a small but loyal group, and it's at Doctor Walking Dead. That's a Dr. Walking Dead. I don't tweet lots and lots and lots, but I do tweet when I watch movies. I give little mini reviews. Uh, I give insights into what I'm writing about. And I talk about teaching college a lot, so hopefully that's not a turnoff. So check that out. And, of course, uh, if you if you haven't checked out American Zombie Gothic, first off, you should buy it. If you can't buy it, get your library to buy it, whether it's your school library or your public library, and then check it out and read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we own it, that's huh, Josh? It. That's me right now. All yep. right. Got well, my copy. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Kyle. And uh, we'll talk to you uh, whenever you're available next, sir. You have a good year. <laughs> this was awesome. You Listeners, have, have a happy new year, but not too happy. It should be scary, too. That's right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, guys. Wolfman Josh here. I'm really supremely bummed that I have to record this segment solo and not with Jay of the Dead because he was, in some ways, the inspiration for this new segment. As longtime listeners of the show will know, Jay is very particular about which films he will honor with the title of horror movie. You know, he's very protective with that descriptor. And even in our last episode, our Christmas horror episode of 2014, he had the gall to call my pick Gremlins a kiddie film and even compared it to The Monster Squad. Now, That was particularly annoying because the Monster Squad, although yes, made primarily for children, is one of the best monster rally movies of all time. And so I took the name for my new segment from the Monster Squad, and I decided to focus on films that maybe I'm not always known for. People know that I like the cerebral stuff. They know that I like slashers. They know that I like monster movies in particular. And I generally like to have fun with my horror movies. I'm not as much into the really dark stuff that's striving for evil. I'm not really into the heavier stuff that involves torture or 
really sadistic films that Bill Shetty might, for instance, call really sick. That's just not my bag. But I've decided to prove to you all that I am not the wuss you may be thinking I am. And I am going to subject myself, basically, to all of the films I've been avoiding for the last two decades since I've been a horror fan. Usually, when one thinks of a werewolf, they think of a man becoming a wolf. Today, you will see the wolf become a man. On the first ever Wolfman's Got Nards segment, I am going to be talking about the film that I said was the scariest horror movie of all time because I was too afraid to watch it. Longtime listeners of the show will know that on my list of shame is the William Friedkin classic, The Exorcist. I had never seen it until today. So The Exorcist. What an incredible viewing experience that was, frankly... I'm shocked that it is as popular as it is within the horror community because it plays most of the time as like a very realistic, almost documentary-like kind of crime film or, or cop film. Even though it's, you know, there's only one cop in the movie and it's mostly following priests and this mother, it, man, this movie is so grounded in a reality and it takes so long for the scares to come. There are basically three introductions to the film before we get even an inkling of what the scary aspect of the film might be. Obviously, I was spoiled on this film to some degree. Everybody has seen all of those money shots from this movie a million times on every clip reel, you know, of the greatest horror movies. And it's been parodied and everything from Scary Movie to, to uh, This is the End. But this movie has a lot more going on than just those bedroom scenes with Reagan, and although those are kind of horrifying and were surprisingly still scary, even having seen the most grotesque of them many times, the film had a real weight to it that made me super uncomfortable, like sick to my stomach much of the film. And then all of that stuff that happens outside the house, to me, is super fascinating. The way that they built these characters was pretty unique for a horror film, and really any film. I don't feel like there was a, really a central protagonist in this movie. It's called The Exorcist, and it begins with him and kind of ends with him, but not really. There are a lot of different characters. They each get their time. It is really, more than any other film I can really point to, very much like a novel. And I do want to review this with the guys, I think, um, now having seen the film, it needs a legitimate review where I do some serious homework and, you know, we have a good conversation with some knowledgeable dudes because I think this is a film very worthy of discussion. But as, you know, part of the Wolfman's Got Nards segment, I just wanted to kind of give you my visceral reaction. But yeah, I mean, again, just having seen those scenes that, yeah, even after parody were still kind of shocking. I was really impressed with this movie in a lot of ways. I also have a lot of questions that I'd like to get to in a later review. But overall, I think it deserves its classic status for the most part. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, and I'm going to say it's a strong rental recommendation for me right now. Honestly, for the first half, I thought, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. It was a buy-it for me. I do feel like some of the shock-for-shock's-sake stuff probably played really well in theaters, but like for a modern audience, isn't as rewatchable as it might have been then, because it like those shocks are just kind of grotesque and 
and not particularly interesting. Like to me, the most interesting stuff is what's going on with the priests and, and the mom. And I will say it wasn't just the parodies that came to mind as I watched this movie. It was shocking how many other horror movies I understood a little bit better. Even from this last year, Deliver Us from Evil makes so much more sense to me in a world where The Exorcist exists. Even The Babadook, holy crap, that was, was, this was definitely an influence on The Babadook. I talked about The Shining, and I do think The Babadook is in some ways kind of a female Shining but I think it's also kind of a reverse exorcist in some ways. And it was definitely, it definitely had a whiff of the exorcist about it. So I feel like this first segment was a success. I conquered my fear. I felt sick to my stomach. I even got scared from time to time. And I stand corrected and I've seen what I think is a really interesting film. So I look forward to more discussion about The Exorcist at a later date, and I hope you will look forward to future editions of Wolfman's Godnards. Well, at this point in episode 38 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to review our first horror flick of 2015. And to help me do this, I brought in a special guest that we haven't heard from in quite a while. He is the madman behind the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast at deadashellhp.com. He's over there with his co-host, Shani Dreadful. We welcome back one sick puppy out in the field in Arizona. It's <laughs> 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 <That's> hilarious. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Yes, sir. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, so we got him calling in on the phone there. It was super cool of you to... Um, make time and just call into the show like that. That's really nice. That's hardcore like Wolfman Josh. He does that stuff. Yeah, but I'm not really in Arizona. <laughs> I just have a Grand Canyon wallpaper on my desk. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Well, I just want to congratulate you guys, you and Shani both, for um, crossing over. In, in, in this February, you're going to hit the year mark on the Dead as Hell Horror podcast. And that's a huge accomplishment. That's a lot of work, I know. Yeah. So, congrats. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It seems like the year is going quickly, but uh, we've got some top-secret plans that we're going to enact throughout the year. So, hopefully, there's some really cool stuff coming out of the listeners. Do you have anything as an exclusive that you could tease about what's coming up on your podcast? I can't really say for sure, <laughs> because we're in the early stages on some of these things. I got you. Uh, where our main focus... For 2015 is audience participation. We want phone calls. We want movie requests. We want uh, voicemails, just uh, Facebook action, anything that the, the fans want to participate in the show. That is our main focus this year. So uh, to that end, we're going to be adding some uh, interview segments with people in the industry, hopefully. And... Uh, like I say, a couple of secrets, so uh, not ready quite to unveil those yet, but nice. uh, you'll be hearing about them before too long. Okay, good. I can't wait. And I see on, on your site here the most recent episode, it looks like you guys reviewed uh, Cannibal Holocaust and talked about the Orpheus process. So. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, Chris XS actually on that episode, and that <laughs> was... Uh, Pretty hardcore stuff, let me tell you. Yeah, I love that guy. He He's a hardcore horror fan, you know, so... That's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's practically a, a regular member, so we've we've adopted Chris XS over at Dead as Hell. Yeah, well, he's he's one of the great ones. So here's a quick question for you: What would you say was the best horror film that you saw from 2014? Did you have a a number one 2014 horror movie? 
Um, I'm trying to think. I, the one that pops to mind is uh, As Above, So Below, actually. Oh, yeah. We, we reviewed that together. And, yeah, you love that one, huh? Yeah, I really did like it. I almost bought it today, but uh, I passed it up. But I really like that one. And I'd say the, the movie I've watched most this year didn't come out this year, but it was American Mary. I'm still uh, reeling from that one. That was just a fantastic experience. So <laughs> I'd say those were probably my two biggest uh, movies that I watched this year. So Oh, that's cool. I'm glad to hear it. All right. Well, um, one other question. Did you see, so this movie we're about to review today, did you see a trailer in front of it for the Lazarus effect? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I'm trying to remember what the trailer, I did see a, a horror trailer, but it, it didn't really stick with me. I'm not sure if it was the Lazarus effect or not. What's that one about? Yeah, it's a, it's a PG 13 horror flick. Um, it's about a group of medical students that discover a way to bring back dead patients to life again. And of course, as usually happens in this case, they're not quite the same, a la Pet Cemetery. But it actually, it reminds me a lot of um, Flatliners. It kind of looks a little bit like a Flatliners ripoff. But yeah, that's what I thought of when you mentioned it. Yeah, so that comes out on February 27th, and... I was just wondering what you thought about it. But, you know, I always, that's the thing. And before we get into this review, I just want to tell people that I, I, I truly, genuinely am an optimist about films. When I go to the movies, I really expect to have a good experience. I mean, and what I mean by that is my mind is open, you know, and I'm ready to, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt and I give them a chance. And I mean, do you feel that way or do you go in as a cynic or what? How do you approach movie going either i'm really excited to see the film or i'm hopeful if i if i really don't think a movie is going to be worth anything like uh guardians of the galaxy for example i had zero interest i didn't think there was any way they were going to make that a movie that would entertain me i didn't go see it in the theater and i waited until it came out on dvd i wouldn't go into a movie that i was dreading or loathing ahead of time for the purposes of watching it to review it, I just skip it. <laughs> That's what uh, Josh does. He he feels the same way, and I will go see it just for the purposes of reviewing it. But this last year, I did not see Ouija for that reason. I'm like, I just can't do it. I can't bring myself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to watch that one, and I I think there was actually a movie you asked me to see that I I turned down. Yeah, Annabelle, you, maybe. Yeah, you're like, no, there's no way I'm seeing that. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I just I try to always be straight with somebody, and you know if we have an indie uh, movie on the podcast or whatever, if I really hate it, I'm just gonna skip it and not review it because I don't want to just badmouth indie guys. But I just you know there's so much stuff out there to watch. I just try to skip what I think is going to be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you they sneak one past you, and you know you have to tell the truth to your listeners. But otherwise, I just. Uh, with what I like. Yeah, that's exactly Josh's approach with films. Yeah, I mean, he just he only seeks out the things that he thinks will be good and worth his time. And yeah, I, I think that's a great approach. Actually, it's very smart. So anyway, I don't understand how Phil Shetty fits through every horror movie released in a year. I've heard you guys talk about how thorough he is and just mm-hmm. completely absorbs everything from the genre. 
And I don't know how he does it, man. It's just, he's got to be killing major amounts of brain cells every year with this crap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's hardcore about that. And he really does, too. I mean, he will watch anything. And I will say, I got to give him credit, though. His end of the year list, his top 10 list, top 10 horror of the year, it's always my, my favorite list. You know, I always love oh. hearing because he, he's seen everything. And so he really does truly get a good feel for a top 10. You know what's really pissing me off about people's top tens is they're putting Wolf Creek 2 on them. Yeah. Did you I, ever get around to seeing that? I, I have not seen it yet, but I have uh, seen Wolf Creek 2 showing up. Have you seen it? Yeah, I watched it, and I, I gave it a skating review on my podcast. It was just horrible. Wow. Well, so, and I really liked the first one. So give us a mini review with no spoilers. Uh, what's How come it's so bad, in, in your opinion? Most of the movie is dual. With, uh, you know, it's car chases and whatnot, and the uh, the horror moments, so to speak, was just straight porn. It was just, you know, just for shock value. It didn't move the story along. And, like, the, the entire third act of the movie is nothing but him sitting around singing songs and telling jokes. Wow. And it was, it was just wretched. The, like, the first five minutes of that movie was worthwhile, and all the rest of it was just crap. And now I'm just I'm just twice as intrigued because you hated it so bad, and then you know we've had listeners that showed up in their top ten list, and even yeah, I just I will never watch that movie again, and it's going to be two or three years before I can watch Wolf Creek again. Just to get that out of my head. <laughs> that's great, but that's a that's a double edged sword though, because when you're that vehement about a movie being that horrible. It's just like you just said, you know, it intrigues you. So I've had yeah. several people tell me just on the basis of how much I hate that movie that they're going to watch it. Right. So I'm trying to do a public service here, and it's just not working out. Yeah, my favorite film professor ever, he told me one time, he said, listen, if there's a movie that you truly despise and you think that people should genuinely avoid, he's like, don't even talk about it, because they will go see it just to see what was so bad. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It really is. Well, coincidentally, that brings us to this review. <laughs> well, you just spoiled it. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I got to do my duty here, and uh, I just want to just right up front, I just want to tell you I'm, I'm sorry that I got you into this, and I understand I understand now why you tell me no sometimes. <laughs> yeah, some of these movies you make me go see, I just feel like I ought to send you a ticket and get reimbursed for it. It's, they're just awful. Well, here, here's the problem, though. I, I just got to, in my defense, I have one thing to say about that. I am going to see and support and, you know, check out the mainstream wide release horror cinema. And it's like, this is what they're giving us for horror cinema. And... I just feel like it's my my duty to go see it, and if it sucks, then to tell people straight up. Because hopefully, if we can if we can move the needle on these movies, they'll stop making this sort of terrible film. Well, it's a Hammer movie as well, so I'm definitely always going to go see a Hammer film mm -hmm. in the theater if possible. But I'm definitely going to watch it one way or the other, even if it looks like the most horrible direct ever. There's actually one I've got on my list that when Hammer rebooted their studio, they actually released like a 15-part web series that uh, is one continuous story. 
and it looks like it's just going to be the most horrible thing ever, but because it's got the hammer name on it, I've got to see it. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, yeah, I was going to mention that to the listeners. You're kind of a student of the Hammer Horror Films, and don't you do a, a segment every once in a while where you, you're delving into all these films and you're trying to get um, acquire some expertise, right? Yes, and that is one of my New Year's resolutions. I, I was not as faithful to that plan as I should have been in 2014, but uh, I've already got my first set of films that I'm going to be doing for the uh, uh, Hammer portion of the podcast. I've got some picked out, and I'm going to make sure I get one of those out every month. Nice. Well, that'll be so, cool. That's very valuable. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, that's the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. Good check it out. Well, that brings us to our feature review of The Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death. Where are you headed? We're heading to Chris and Gifford. They have no other relatives, so we're taking them to a house in the country. Does anybody else live on the island? The place has been deserted for years. There it is, Hillmarsh House. So cold in here. So first of all, one sick puppy, I just want to say... Maybe this is a good thing that we saw this movie on January 2nd because maybe we got the worst horror movie of 2015 out of the way. First thing. Maybe. <laughs> it's possible. It's definitely the worst movie I've seen all year. Yeah, same. Same here. And um, it's January 2nd and I've seen three movies so far. So, um, yeah. Oh, I've only seen one. So okay. I've been watching uh, Entourage. But, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that has nothing to do with horror. But, totally understandable, uh, though. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting ready for the for the Entourage movie this summer because I love those guys. Of course, yeah, me too. Well, before we get into the premise of this thing here, I just want to state a couple of facts in case the listeners were not aware. The Woman in Black is based on Susan Hill's horror novella from 1983. Now, have you read that novel? I have not. I, every time I, I pull up that on, on Wikipedia, I intend to... And I've not made time to do that yet, but I, I did buy a Kindle this year, so I'm going to throw that on the Kindle tonight and uh, see if I can get into that. Nice. Well, seriously, and I, I genuinely mean this, when you read that, let us know what you think about it, because, I mean, I'm really curious, actually, and I'll, I'll say why in a second here, but that story was also adapted into a made-for-TV movie in 1989, and I've actually had trouble tracking that down, so I have not seen it. Have you seen the 1989 TV version yet? No, I didn't realize it existed until uh, I was researching today. And it does not look as though it is uh, very horrific. It looks like it might be more suspenseful mm -hmm. because the poster that they have on IMDb shows of, of the woman in black, and she looks like uh, just a schoolmarm in a funeral dress. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I'm I'm skeptical as to whether or not I actually want to see that. Well, um, I may be misquoting him terribly here, which um, I'm infamous for, I guess, I'm told. But I believe Dr. Shock said that that 1980 movie is pretty decent, you know, the 1989 one. But, you know, he also, I mean, he can, he likes some old school stuff that would be tamed by modern standards. You know, he likes classic horror, so he could definitely find 
things to appreciate, I think. So, yeah, I suspect that that movie might be improved by changing the contrast on your television to black and white. Mm-hmm. If you want to take that approach to it, there's a, there's a movie or two that I like to do that with. And, um, that might be one that that benefits. I think so keep that in mind if you, if you seek that out. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And, um, the other thing that I didn't know I recently learned is that the Woman in Black story was also a radio series and even a stage play at one time. So, and then I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either. I learned that from film critic Leonard Malton. Now, in 2012, we got a remake of The Woman in Black starring Daniel Radcliffe of Harry Potter fame. And I assume you've seen that one, have you? I have, I did, I liked it, and uh, I found out today that it was much more famous and uh, well-received than I had initially thought. Um, one article I read said that it was the highest-grossing uh, British horror movie to date. Wow, I didn't know that. that and, I, and I bet part of that was probably Daniel Radcliffe, right? Oh, of course, but that, the original movie was uh, Hammer Fair through and through, and it was uh, very British in that it was uh, slow, deliberate kind of forward momentum and not all crazy jump scares and, and roller coaster ride. You know, the, the mm-hmm. Hammer films, in my opinion, are, are methodical. And the, the story is what you want to latch on to instead of just the effects. You know, they... They have some pretty stuff. I like the Hammer Blood that they used in the seventies, but yeah, uh, those are those are not movies that they they just want you jumping up and down in your seat the whole time. They they're trying to tell you a story, right? And that's very much what the the first Woman in Black was, and that's what I appreciated. It was really a true Hammer film to come out under their name. Yeah, I I agree with you. And in fact, um, you know, when that first came out back in two thousand twelve, I remember I ended up seeing it through Redbox, I mean, and I remember it was everywhere at Redbox, and I and I was just really dismissive about it, because I saw Daniel Radcliffe on the cover, and I'm like, you know, I just wasn't thinking it was going to be a horror movie, really, and I would, I would call it a horror movie myself, and I was very impressed. I really love that film, and based on that film, I actually had some good hope for this film today, this new one, um, because, yeah, this, this here... The Woman in Black 2 is obviously, it's a supposedly a sequel to that 2012 remake. Um, but, like, for example, in the original, what you mentioned was ap- absolutely correct. There was a genuine story that, that builds, and it builds powerfully. And I'm not a slow burn kind of guy, one sick puppy. I'm, I'm kind of impatient, and I'm not really a supernatural ghost movie kind of guy. And I still loved it. That's that's like a seven point five for me. The original. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that movie, and because I thought that movie was so good, I was not very hopeful about this movie. Oh wow! I okay. was hoping I was wrong, but I was not. Uh, the trailers I had seen did not uh, make me feel good about the choice to go see it. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, the I I avoided the trailer altogether. Um, and so I went in blind, but, oh my goodness. Well, let's talk about this one then. So the woman in black two, angel of death, it opens in London in 1941 in the throes of uh, world war two. 
Now, the first film took place, you know, not long after the invention of the car, right? So it was like probably World War One era, like the late 19-teens, like early 1920s, would you say? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the the time was on that. I would I would say it was uh, maybe even a little bit closer to the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the automobile, uh, you just made me think is correct, but I had initially thought it was like in the 1880s, but that can't be true. Yeah, the kid the the kid was um, born or died around that time. We see some tombstones, but that was like of, of events that happened in the past. But oh. there there is a so there is a way to look this up actually because I actually I, I did a little bit of detective work and if I'd have had more time, I would have gotten it done so I didn't have to do it like live on the podcast. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but check this out. So there's a car in the original film, The Woman in Black. Um, the rich guy drives it. it it's um, Siren Hines. Let's see. It's a Rolls Royce Silver Ghost is what the car is called. And I wonder if that's supposed to be clever because it's a ghost. I don't know. I, don't know. I love early Rolls Royces, though. They're so gorgeous. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, let me see here. Let me. I'm going to try to see when that came out, when that hit the market. It looks like it was between 1921 and 1926. Okay. So something like that. So yeah, this is about yeah the 1920s. So we have moved in this story. By the time we hit this sequel here, we're about 20 years later. Okay. Now, the first thing that that makes you wonder, it's like, well, what has this... Because um, there's a ghost. And if people haven't seen the first film, you know, all I'm saying, I'll just say it right now. This film doesn't matter, right? The sequel in the first film does. So see the first film. But just for purposes of discussing this review, there is a ghost. She is in this film as well. So we could just leave it at that and then not get into any spoilers. But what has she been doing for 20 years? Right. What'd you say? Just chilling. Just chilling. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Hanging out in the swamp. So this film, one thing that bothers me hugely in this is we don't have... Any of the same characters, basically, aside from the ghost, um, we have a, a new a heroine in this named Eve Parkins, and um, she is like this just golden-hearted woman who is serving and, and helping with the children. She's like a, a teacher, and when this little boy is orphaned after his parents are killed in an air raid, his name is Edward, she you know, oversees him and takes care of him. And so they ship some of these orphan children or children who can't be with their parents during the war. And these teachers take them and they're sent off to the Eel Marsh house, which is the haunted house. It's out in the countryside. And it's like, why would you put these, (laughs) these people in this house? But they said it many times in the screenplay. It's like, what's the only place for them to go? It was just the first in a series of many things that made absolutely no sense in this movie. It was, uh, my, see, right. I don't, I don't want to uh, get too far off, but the problem with the main problem with this movie is that they used the same ghost in the same house. If you ever watched the, the television show Supernatural, and you know that the uh, Winchester brothers encounter supernatural entities in various forms. But they do it in such a way as that, like in this particular case, the woman in black is a supernatural phenomenon. 
So you can be in Colorado and run into a woman in black, and then you can go to California and run into another woman in black. And if they had done that in this film and just not worried about that house and that same story and just told the story about another woman in black, this movie could have been great. Well, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because what you just said gets down to the heart of the matter. I mean, you, you cut it right to the quick. For me, my biggest criticism about this film and why it completely does not work is they stripped the woman in black, um, not literally, but they removed her. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. <laughs> More interesting, yes. But 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 they removed um, her her motivation in the thing because you know ghosts. The reason ghosts haunt, we all know from ghost movies, is they're very upset about something. Um, they have some seriously unresolved issues. So the things. That, that drove her in the first film that were that were so compelling by the way those do not exist at all really i mean she has a different really weird motivation in this the ghost does and it's like what it's like this isn't even the same story so what you mentioned it's like it might as well have been a different character because this was not that same ghost yeah it's pretty much patrick duffy walking out of the shower in dallas it just nothing happened from the last movie at all. And, uh, you know, let's just completely start over, except this time we're not going to give you any backstory. We're just going to make it up as we go. Mm-hmm. I thought the, I got the, the distinct impression while watching this movie uh, that the whole thing was shot off of treatment. Like, they didn't even have a script. Yeah. And it was just like five or six pages that they were just improvising the whole thing on. And it was it was really depressing. I I genuinely think you're right about that because as I sat today in the theater watching that film, I was thinking this is, it's like they're making this up as they go along. And, And it's weird because listeners, if you do see this, I hope you don't, but if you do, you can actually, it's weird the way they go between locations. It's like, Back and forth, it's like, okay, well, we've shot a few minutes here. Okay, let's go back to this other location. Let's shoot a few minutes there. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's so bizarre. Yeah. The relationships in this movie between the uh, adult characters are just paper thin. And the progression of the story honestly makes no sense to me. It's all, uh, I thought that it might be better in a book, and they did, uh, this is not based on a Susan Hill book, but they wrote a novelization of this and released it uh, to coincide with the movie. Hmm. And I suspect that the book may be better because all the things that, that just make you wonder what they were thinking in the movie could be explained on paper. Yeah. But it's they, they rely heavily on intuition and interpretation by this main female character as the source of knowledge of what is happening in the movie. And it's it's not really logical that she would know these things or understand these things. And as a result, the, you just can't get immersed in the story. It's just, it's, it's like a soap opera almost. Yeah, you said that perfectly. That's exactly right. Listeners, what one sick puppy said is dead on the money. This lead character, the heroine, she knew things. There's no way she could know. It was just, it's like, okay, well, how did she come up with that? <laughs> it's just, it's almost like, you know, uh, some scenes were cut where maybe she learned about that stuff. 
it it almost seems that way. That's probably not the case, but I'm just saying. Now that actress who who plays um Eve Parkins, it's Phoebe Fox, and she does a fine job, and you know she has a a nice screen presence and everything, but the film she in, she's in is just unfortunate. So let's talk yeah, about... It doesn't matter how good you are unless you're Pacino or something. If they give you crap, you, there's only so much you can do. Right. Yeah, that's right. Now, um, it was kind of funny to me. It made me smile because you could tell <laughs> you could tell that they did some by-the-book screenwriting little techniques in this movie. Now, I, I will say that the screenwriter for this was different from the first movie. This was um, John Croker did the screenplay here, um, just so people know. And whereas in the first film, uh, there was a lady that did that one, and I have it here, Jane Goldman. And again, I can't emphasize it enough. This, Even though this is The Woman in Black 2, it's supposedly a sequel, it doesn't seem like a sequel at all. So, but one thing they do is they want us to like this character. They want us to see that she has a heart of gold and that she's a hero type. And they have her save a sheep in the beginning. <laughs> and that's particularly yeah. funny because one of the screenwriting techniques is called save the cat, um, which Blake Snyder wrote a book about that. He's a screenwriter where, you know, you get to know a character and you get to know that you like that person because they have him save a cat in the beginning and so, but she saved the sheep, and that just—I actually laughed out loud when I saw that. I'm like, okay, we like yeah. her. <laughs> there was an opportunity in the movie for had that scene been more effective initially, for them to really capitalize on that. And on both sides of it, they just fell completely short. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't really explain it any further. I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Yeah, and I yeah, they had the had the first scene been uh, more visceral the follow-up to it would have been just fantastically horrific. And it just wasn't. Yeah, I'm with you. I tried really hard. I thought, well, what can I say that's positive about this film? Because I try to look for the good. And I like how once they get the ki- the children in the house, that first night, I mean, it, it shows us that they say their prayers and they have them all say their prayers. And, you know, as a believer myself, I mean, that's that resonates with me. And yet... In this haunted house, it doesn't matter. And that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a statement in this horror film. It's like, yeah, they say their prayers and everything, but they're still in trouble. So that's something I'll compliment the film on. Um, But otherwise, are you amazed at, okay, the first film, for those who haven't seen it, um, children are in peril. Let's just say that. (laughs) And it's, were you amazed at how many kids were in this house and yet, how how few, and I won't say how many, but were you shocked at how few met their demise? Yes, I was, and how boringly they met their demise. Yes, there was one. There was one scene that, if you're if you're really generous, uh, was actually fairly effective. Of course, it could have been more so, but uh, it was uh, it was almost an M Night Shyamalan moment, uh, but. Uh, I thought it was kind of creepy, but otherwise it was, I mean, you know, you got the uh, baseball team there, do something, (laughs) get rid of half of them. Right. I mean, I thought when I first saw how many children they piled into 
the eel marsh house i'm like oh here we go this is like slasher film but not teenagers it's kids you know and i'm like oh this is gonna be crazy right yeah and it's not a it's not necessarily a spoiler but uh they are the first group of several uh refugee uh groups that are going to be coming to this house Mm -hmm. and just because you know that there's going to be another 25 kids coming, you know, in a couple of weeks. You could just decimate this cast, and <laughs> they just totally miss the opportunity. I don't know. Uh, I, and see, the thing is, you know, I'm a, I'm a father and everything, and I love kids. I'll just say that. But I just, you know, so I'm not the kind of guy who wants to see, you know, kids bite it in horror movies or anything. But that is the the heart of this of this horror film, especially the first one is that, you know, this ghost goes after kids. And so the, the fact that they don't have the, I mean, this film doesn't even have the teeth to do that. I mean, it's just like a toothless weak. uh, I mean, I mean, I can't believe how timid this film is. Yeah, there was, I, I did the same thing you did. I was really trying to find something nice to say about this movie. And uh, the only thing that appealed to me, really, besides that one scene uh, that I just mentioned with the child, was uh, another part, which which may be viewed as a spoiler, which I won't uh, get specific on, but it was a piece of history uh, that was related to World War II that I had not known previously that I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. But other than that... Uh, I, I don't have a single redeeming thing to say about this movie. <laughs> right. Like I didn't even sit through the credits. You know, there, if there, if there's a stinger on the end of this movie, I have no idea because I just couldn't get out of the theater fast enough. Well, do you, there is no stinger, and I sat through the credits because I, I like to see if there is a stinger. But also, more importantly, I was busy texting all of my friends and Wolfman <laughs> Josh and telling them do not see this movie. I think my words were, it is impossibly awful. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And uh, Chantel didn't like the first one, uh, and she was expecting that she knew full on that this movie was going to be horrible. So oh, no. <laughs> I have to give her credit on that ahead of time because uh, she saw it coming. <laughs> well, yeah. For, yeah. for that I am, I, I answered the call of my good friend. You and, did. And, <laughs> I've lost brain cells because of it. I know, I know. I'm just terrible. But um, well, okay. Let's get down to the heart of our criticism for this film because um, you know, aside from the ghost motivation, I want to talk about a principle of horror filmmaking, and one of the biggest offenses in this movie is it is filled with what people have come to term as cheap jump scares and. Those are jump scares that aren't really earned. Now, Dr. Shock famously and very humorously always makes fun of the first woman in black movie, the 2012 version. He likes it and everything, but the crow, there are a couple of crow jump scares like in that, like that are pretty close together that he just thinks is just ridiculous. And that's hilarious. Well, they bring the crow back in this, which I laughed out loud because I thought of Dr. Shock on that. So you, you got all these artificial moments of supposed horror. And the reason that cheap jump scares don't work for me is because it is a very short term, you know, visceral reaction. Like if you, if you do a loud noise or 
a cat jumps out and screeches or something stupid like that. It's just artificial horror. You're startled. But that's not genuine scare. Um, there was one jump scare in this film that did get me. I jumped once, but every other time when they did a jump scare, I was just sitting there yawning. Did you jump at all? No, but I had taken a Xanax before I went to the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't know if it was me or the movie. But uh, none of the none of the jump scares I thought were really effective. I do like jump scares if they are kind of multifaceted. Right. Like if the if the character jumps and and there's a loud noise and the, there's a, a violent motion on the screen somehow, you know, if, if you can get two or three elements together, then that will usually make me jump, you know, with, with the increase in volume and all that. Right. Uh, a lot of jump scares are, are like you say, in formulaic and, and just a complete waste. But uh, there's a difference to me between the, the jump scare and the actual fear that a good horror movie can generate. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the the adrenaline and the heart racing of a jump scare if it's effective, but uh, to me, that's a separate thing. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And see, I think the key is in order to get a scare, whether it's a jump scare, which as you said, is kind of um, just a quick increase of adrenaline or whether it's a genuine deep scare, um, this all has to do with how organic it is to the the story that we're seeing. Now, I would argue that organic and what I would call authentic horror, that's the horror that's deeply affecting, the stuff that's haunting, the movies that we say stays with us. Those are that's horror that comes out of the story itself, meaning it's an it's actually a function of the story and because we're engaged in what's happening in these characters, it, we tap into, or the the movie, the story taps into something inside of us that is very bothersome and haunts us. Yes. And that makes me think, I mean, maybe the most, I guess the most obvious version of this is with action films. Like, a lot of people think Die Hard is just one of a great action movie, and I, I call it an action movie masterpiece, because those set pieces, the action pieces in the original Die Hard not a horror film, of course, but those action set pieces are actually a part of the story. They like play into the story. It's not like Transformers where it's just like, okay, talking, talking. Okay, let's go over here, have robots fighting, talking, talking. You know what I mean? It's organic. And I think that's that's where true horror is made. Yeah, and Hammer films are not really jump scare movies. There are moments where the orchestration kicks in and there's a reveal of some sort in, in older Hammer movies. But and the first woman in black did not really strike me um, as a you know repetitive jump scare movie. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm actually, I didn't have time to watch it today, but I've been wanting to see it again lately because they've been advertising this uh, piece of crap. But I'm going to go back and watch it again. So that may very well be true, but... Putting jump scares in a gothic horror movie is not really good writing. It's just, that's not what they're there for. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's slow and, and you know, you, you want to reveal things as you go, but you're, you don't want the audience to jump. You want them to pay attention. You want them to focus on what you're telling them. And the horror builds slowly. Right. But, you know, when you've got a, a period piece like this, jump scares just don't really, to me, belong there. 
Brother, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, everything you said, you were hitting on all cylinders tonight. I'm gonna start... I really thought about this this afternoon <laughs> after I saw the movie. Yeah, well, I can tell. I mean, I'm going to start calling you the professor, Professor One Sick Puppy. <laughs> I mean, you're seriously nailing it. Yeah, and, and and let's, let's. okay, so in the first film, The Woman in Black, and please, if people haven't seen that, check it out. Um, there are scares in it, for sure. And the way they work, actually, there are a few different scares relating to a window, okay? And, and. It's it's kind of recurring and it's very cool. Unlike the crow, which is not cool, but that there is this window thing and it's genuinely scary. It's freaky. It's creepy, but you know it's not like the cat jumping out of the cupboard at you. It, it's just like whoa. That's part of the. It's part of the story. So when people go in to see this, yeah, they try to get you with a bunch of cheap jump scares that are not organic and I. Uh, it's just a, a snooze fest. Really, um, so to wrap it up, then as we as we start wrapping up, <laughs> we didn't tell him anything about how bad the movie sucked. There's so much more. <laughs> oh well, well, I mean, basically, so the, these teachers take these kids to this haunted house, right, where that woman still remains haunting it, and um, peril ensues, so to speak. But it's ridiculous. Now, the production design, even that, I can't even say the production design is as good. Because when you do revisit The First Woman in Black, if you don't remember this, One Sick Puppy, take note of that setting. I mean, the the inside of that house is gorgeous and incredible. It is so moody. The walls are purple. It is rich. And I'm like, wow, this is a feast for the eyes. it's, It's really something. And then in this one, it looks like a backlot stage set that was like whipped up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they use the same set. Uh, Hammer would usually in the day, uh, review sets as much as possible for different movies. They would just dress them differently. Uh, if you go into some of the castles or fortresses, what have you, that they, uh, filmed in, you'll actually see different parts of those throughout different movies. And I couldn't find any information, uh, on whether or not this was a standing house. You know, they they built this house out in the middle of this marsh for the first movie. There's no real reason to spend the money to tear it down. Uh, so I was wondering if, if it had just been standing there and then they just went in and the, the art department did a little work on it. But it's, it's just like every section of this place, the wallpaper was peeling. That's what I noticed the most about this. And it... Uh, it was peeling in such a way that it was crisp and uh, peeling off the wall. And being in the middle of this uh, moist environment, I didn't feel that that was realistic. It's it just it's like somebody just went through with uh, like a hand rake and just scraped up all the wallpaper, and that was their set dressing for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I really don't believe. I mean, I would be shocked if this. It doesn't look like the same place to me, and especially the the interior shots. It's just, oh my goodness. Well, to wrap this up then, as far as like our final thoughts and ratings, so I'm a little bit under the weather right now, and I'm one of these people who tries to, you know, gargle with apple cider vinegar. I know too much information, but if anybody ever has used apple cider vinegar or looked in it, 
if you buy it with the mother, as they call it, um, do, do you know what I'm talking about, One Sick Puppy? I have no clue, dude. This has gotten weirder than any okay. podcast I've ever done with Chris XS. Okay. <laughs> and that's really saying something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. I love you, Chris. I love you, man. I do, too. And he knows I love him. This will be worth it. Hang with me, everybody. All right. In apple cider vinegar, next time you're in a grocery store, I, I challenge you all to do this, especially you, one sick puppy. There's apple cider vinegar that you can buy that's just apple cider vinegar. But if you read on the label, it says with the mother, right? When you okay. look inside, there is this mass of, um, like, I can't even explain what it's like. It, it, it's, it's the creepiest, scary. It's so scary. It's this scary mass of something that they call mother. And, um... You're totally freaking me out. I have no idea what you're talking about. Brother, I'm serious. Next time you're in a grocery store, check it out. And I just want to say that today I've been gargling with Matt apple cider vinegar and that mother in that bottle and um, <laughs> it has scared me more than this movie. <laughs> and, and I like to annoy my wife because every time I get that out, I say, mama, <laughs> right? Do you remember the mama? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this movie, The Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death. It's kind of pointless. It's a 2 out of 10 for me. It's a total avoid. It's not even a Redbox rental, you guys. It's not even a free Redbox rental if you get the code. It's not even a stream it on Netflix someday. I am renouncing this movie and I'm pretending that it doesn't even exist. The only one that's out there is The Woman in Black 2012. You should definitely see that one. That's a 7.5 out of 10. One sick puppy, what are your final thoughts and ratings? My final thoughts on this was your apple cider vinegar story was better than this movie. <laughs> uh, the, uh, one of the biggest complaints I had about this movie was the uh, cinematography on it. Uh, it made sense in the first movie for everything to be dull and drab, but it was still well lit. But this movie, the dark parts are really, really dark to the point that... Uh, in the theater that I was in anyway, you could hardly see any detail. Yes. And the rest of it, uh, the, everything that they were wearing were, were drab colors. And I don't really feel like there was anything more related that would cause that to be the, the, uh, truth of the situation. Mm -hmm. And it was just, um, it was, there was nothing pretty in the movie. Everything was, was just miserable to look at. And, uh, the, Relationships between the characters, like I said, are just paper thin. Uh, there's nothing whatsoever to make you actually care about these people, except for the fact that you want them to get through this ordeal so you can see the credits. <laughs> I agree 100% with what Jay said. If somebody gives you this movie as a gift, I would stop talking to them. I would not watch this on Netflix. And um, the only movie I've seen recently that's been worse than this is Wolf Creek 2. So based on that, I'll give this a three because uh, Wolf Creek 2 would be a one in my book because Jay doesn't let me give zeros. <laughs> but totally avoid this movie. There's no way you're going to possibly enjoy this. And just watch the first one and just forget this ever existed. <laughs> you can, you know you can give a point five on this show. That's the lowest we go, uh, like a half a point. So you want to give Wolf okay. Creek 2 a, a point 0.5? <laughs> yes, absolutely, point 
<laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, you you know what? I, I take notes in the theater like a giant nerd, but um, I don't care. I, I was do you know what I wrote over and over in my notes? And I don't usually do this, but I and I didn't realize I was doing this is this is really tells you something, one sick puppy. When I looked back but through my notes to review for this podcast, I wrote I wrote three words over and over, and I didn't even know I was doing it. I wrote, wow, weak and boring. (laughs) I mean, those three, it's like, wow, this is weak. It's so boring. So anyway. That's automatic writing right there. You were possessed with something. (laughs) I I know, because I was was having such an unpleasant experience, and I saw this under the very best circumstances. I had some chocolate, and it was a perfect time of day. I was wide awake. I was excited to see a movie. I mean, it's the first film. I mean, it's the first theater movie in, of 2015 for me and uh, whatever. So anyways, brother, I, I appreciate you taking the time tonight uh, to be on the podcast. And uh, why don't you tell the listeners how they can follow you, listen to your podcast and get in touch with you in case they want to like um, talk to you or ask you questions about anything uh as a matter of fact you can go to dead as hell hp.com that is our current website address i'm happy to announce that i just was able finally to secure dead as hell.com and i had not been able to initially when i launched the website so i am in the process of revamping the website and both those addresses will link to the same page but uh on twitter we're at dead as hell hp on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash dead as hell HP. Um, that stands for horror podcast. If you can't understand the letters I'm saying, <laughs> but, uh, if you, uh, keep an eye on the website and, uh, Facebook, I throw up a, a voicemail number every once in a while that I don't have handy again, uh, where you can call in and leave feedback. Um, like our Facebook page, I post mostly horror, some heavy metal kind of related or just, just some, Wild, wacky stuff, as Jeremy Carson used to say. <laughs> and uh, just uh, basically anything that comes into my head, I spew on that Twitter. So I try to, try to keep that R-rated. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we have got uh, DK Ryan on our on our uh, podcast, who is our fiction ex- expert. And I've got uh, Shani Dreadful, who has proven herself to be a fantastic co-host and keeps me on my toes. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of stuff coming in 2015. We're going to have some guests. Uh, of course, Chris XS and uh, Jay and I have resolved that we're going to podcast together a lot more this year. So you'll find him on my show. I'll be on his show. It's going to be fantastic. Yes. Yeah, we're going to have a good time in 2015. And despite this film that we just reviewed, I am hopeful for this year. I have high hopes. So, brother, thanks for your time. And I appreciate you joining us here on Horror Movie Podcast. That's cool, man. Thanks for having me. More of the campfire telling of his horror Lost in the woods with the madman and the stars Don't laugh at the tales Heed if you call him the All right, and at this point in episode 38 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to be reflecting on the year in horror for 2014. And what I thought we'd do, Wolfman, 
is we'll talk about our you know top 10 list of course and then I don't know if you have honorable mentions and biggest disappointments and the worst but I put together a list of that stuff so we can talk about all that and then we'll do kind of a year-end review hit some of the highlights I mean we're not going to do a lot of reruns or anything but I'm just gonna maybe emphasize a couple things that we've covered in the past year of episodes that maybe people have overlooked or haven't gotten to yet so how's that sound to you buddy Sounds great. Okay, good. <laughs> now, you and I both really pour over our top 10 lists. I don't know if people realize this about us, but we're kind of insane. I don't know how much time you spent on Movie Podcast Weekly's top 10 list, but I spent just a terrible amount. But I'll tell you what I did yeah. for this list, because I think we got some qualifiers, obviously. Yeah. I would not consider my top 10 horror of 2014 list to be definitive or exhaustive because honestly I saw I tallied it up I saw 40 new horror movies from 2014 and that's typically that's really not enough but to make a good list but I don't care I'm just doing it for fun and just so people know out there I mean some of these probably aren't top 10 list worthy but you know I don't I don't care so what do you say Wolfman are you in the same boat or what I didn't tally how many I'd actually seen. I've got 20 here between my top 10 and my honorable mentions that are, I don't know, <laughs> that are, you know, the best of the ones I saw. I think there are a lot, you know, we always have our discussions about what is and what isn't horror. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of movies on here. People are going to be like, that's not a horror movie. I know. But it's know. just like, this is all we have this year, you know? So yeah, uh, there were a few that were legit horror movies that I just, missed um or didn't get a chance to to see which i'm really sad about as i get to this point of the year um, same same but for the most part you know this is i the and also these are kind of the more mainstream films i didn't get dig that deep into a lot of the indie films either so i do feel bad about that as well but mm-hmm. um you know we both watched a ton of movies this year and unfortunately just horror didn't really have a whole lot to offer us this year which is always sad but luckily the classics are always still there for us. <laughs> I had a great time watching horror movies this year, just not same necessarily came out this year. Yeah, we actually watched a ton of horror movies when it comes down to it. But as far as like 2014 and like theater releases, I mean, the only thing that I missed in the theater, I believe, was Ouija so far. And I'm I'm still going to cover it at some point through Redbox. Right. But uh, we've said it a million times, but I'm just saying. So I wanted to tell the listeners out there, I have a serious goal here. It's my New Year's resolution pertaining to this podcast. So this past year, I saw 40 of the 2014 horror films. In 2015, I'm going to try to see 100 2015 horror films so I can put together a respectable list next year. So that's what I'm going to try to do. But we do have, that's going to be crazy, Josh, because we have some huge things planned in 2015 for this podcast. Without further delay, what if we get into this and we'll start with our number 10s and just trade punches here. So uh, what is your number 10? My number 10 is Dead Snow 2, Red versus Dead. We reviewed it during our Sundance coverage with William Rowan Jr. And I believe our movie podcast weekly (laughs) co-hosts on the show. Um, It was one of the most fun times I had in the theater this year. um, Just laughing at how terrible and ridiculous this movie was. And I had a great time watching it. And, you know. 
by by terrible and ridiculous i'm not just i'm not necessarily referring to the quality as so much as the horrific things that are happening on screen yeah it is way way over the top and we should probably mention like to the listeners like it's it's somewhat different from its predecessor, the first film. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I said this during our review, and I don't know that this will mean much to our horror listeners, but I'm sure they watch other movies too. Um, it reminded me of the difference between Crank and Crank 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in, terms, in terms of tone. And, and really, I feel like Crank 2 is a pretty good comparison for this film. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the tone, but yeah. Yeah, it's so nuts. This is wacky. I love I love it that you put that at number ten. My number ten, typically on my list here, these are um, seven point five rated or higher films. And if you look at my ratings, they don't all line up exactly. So when I construct a top ten list, it's kind of overall enjoyment and looking back, my fondness of it, entertainment value. So there might be a, a better made film that's higher quality that has a higher rating, but there was something lesser made that was more fun that ends up higher. So my number 10 is Killer Mermaid, a.k.a. Nymph. Wow. <laughs> and this thing is, it's not a great horror film, but it's one of the most fun times I had all year watching a Killer Mermaid movie, and it's exactly what it sounds like. For me, this is a 6.5 <laughs> out of 10. I called it a must-see rental. I didn't even say buy it, but I'm telling you, it's neat because it's a blend between a beastly freak because of the Killer Mermaid and it's also a slasher flick, both. So if people haven't checked this out yet, Wolfman, I'm saying shame on you. This is number 10, Killer Mermaid. Get it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a good year when Killer Mermaid and Death Snow 2 make our lists. That's right. All right. So what's your number nine? Okay. My number nine is a movie I think people may argue whether or not it's a horror movie. They may argue whether or not it's even a sci-fi movie. <laughs> this is one of the greatest movies of the year. It made my uh, overall list as well. Um, and it is creepy. I would say it's, it, it is scary at times. It's just a very, very slow burn and it leaves a lot to the imagination. You really have to do most of the work yourself. So I'm not sure it was for everyone. In fact, I am sure it's not for everyone, but I really enjoyed um, under the skin. And I think director Jonathan Glazer, he's, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He's the new Stanley Kubrick. Mark my words. This guy is a next-level filmmaker. Just unfortunately, most people are not going to appreciate what he's doing. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen it, right? So I'm just trying to kind of identify here. It's a little bit out there, right? It's a little bit... It's kind of like an art film, right? Cause a little bit, but it is... I mean, it has some you know very creepy elements. Basically, you've got this woman picking up guys at night and taking them back to her place and disposing of them. So it has a pretty good basic horror outline. It ends up being a sci-fi film to a large degree, at least in terms of, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, and it is a drama. It's kind of an internal drama within this character who's kind of trying to figure out first, the audience is trying to figure out what she's doing. And then she's kind of trying to figure out what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's very interesting, but yeah, really believe me when I say not for everybody. If you don't like <laughs> thinky films where very few <laughs> lines of dialogue are spoken during the course of the film and the action moves at a snail's pace, don't even try. Just don't even try. I love it that you said thinky. I call those cerebral. 
Those are my Wolfman Josh films, cerebral films. <laughs> and, and we should mention that the um, the predator type woman, she's played by Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. She got a lot of press for this because of the state of undress that she's in in this film. And it, and honestly, you know, I talked about this with P2. This is a time where the nudity actually really reflects back and is important to the story. So I have to give her props for it because it's a big move. Yeah, it sure is. Okay. Well, interesting. I, I got to get around to that since that's been on both of your lists here for both our podcasts. You, you might not like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that from you, but I don't know. I'm just very curious about it. snail's pace, believe me. <laughs> Anyone who's seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. I have. Just know that it's about that type of pacing. Wow. But with less flashy imagery. That's like three-toed sloth pace. Yeah. <laughs> that speed, but cut the fantastical imagery down by 500%. Yeah. It's mostly happening in the dark in a small Scottish town or in a car <laughs> or, or in an apartment. So the fantastical imagery in this one is Scarlett Johansson, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay, gotcha. There's some pretty, there's some pretty out there stuff, actually. It gets pretty trippy when the sci-fi, when you realize the sci-fi elements are kicking in, but. All right, there you go. Well, speaking of trippy and out there, my number nine, I had to put this on the list. This actually almost made my other top 10 list because I had never seen anything like this before and I probably never will again. And that is Kevin Smith's Tusk. This, <laughs> this sucker, in some ways, I am still conflicted about this film, Josh. In some ways, it's kind of a bad film. Like the way it's put together, some of the things are just horrendous train crashes. Like tonally, um, the comedy in it is awful. I mean, there are so many things about it that I actually hate, and I mean hate. However, there are things about it that are just phenomenal and tremendous, and that's like, of course, Michael Parks' performance as a psychopath, and just the disturbingness of it, of, you know, this guy being abducted and transformed into a walrus. So everybody this year drew parallels to the human centipede, and I think that's apt. I, I really like that comparison. And the human centipede I love too, and that totally freaked me out. So... This is something that I, I think that at least half the people out there will despise this movie, but I think yeah. it's a must-see. you got to see it because this is one of those instances in the cinema where you will see something new for once, and you will probably won't see anything like it again. So Tusk is my number nine, 7.5. I told people to see it in the theater and definitely rent it. Yeah. All right. What's your number eight? My number eight is a film it's a bit underwhelming it's just like i'm apologizing for all of my top 10 this is getting ridiculous <laughs> same i love this director scott derrickson i love this previous film sinister so much mm -hmm. and i liked this movie it was a bit of a disappointment for me i'll be honest yeah but i did like it and i like that it is based on a real guy it's based on sergeant ralph starchy who was an actual and YPD officer who was kind of a real life X-Files guy investigating not exactly paranormal stuff, but like exorcisms and things like that. And the, and the stories that he told, these all come from his case files, the, the stories in the film. And so that really excites me. And, you know, again, I think Scott Derrickson's a really talented filmmaker. Obviously the actors, Eric Bana and these guys that are in the movie are very strong kind of mainstream actors. So I was glad to see, 
such a cool story get a big Hollywood treatment. You know, this is a Jerry Bruckheimer production. I was glad to see them get the, the budget and the release schedule and, you know, the theaters for a story like this, even though ultimately the film wasn't quite as good as I wanted it to be. But I did, mm. I did enjoy it. And Deliver Us From Evil, yeah, that's my number eight. Deliver Us From Evil. Yeah, and what's a couple of interesting things about that, this has Joel McHale in it, not in a comedic role, but actually kind of a tough guy. <laughs> I couldn't believe that, but he sells it, and I bought it. So if you had to try to put your finger on, because I feel exactly the same way you do about this film. I liked it, but definitely disappointing. And if you had to put your finger on what it was that it lacked for you, what would you say that is? Horror elements? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not scary enough. Yeah, it should be more scary probably. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. I'd have just liked a bit more. I know Scott Derrickson has it in him. I don't know if it was the... Mandate from Bruckheimer to tone it down a little bit. I don't know. But the exorcism of Emily Rose, which he also directed, he pulled that story straight from this guy's real case file as well. Like he got the idea from this guy. And so ever since then, he wanted to do a movie about this detective. And I just love premise wise. I love that. And I just wish, yeah, I wish it had delivered a little more terror or horror as it were. I'm with you for sure. Okay. Great movie though. Yeah, definitely worth watching for sure. Well, my number eight on the list is something I was very excited about this year. I was looking forward to it. I had lots of hope and my hope was realized. I called this the best Bigfoot film that we have so far. And it is Eduardo Sanchez's Exists. Mm -hmm. You know, we did a whole episode on this um, where we discussed this a lot with him, with the director himself. And this movie is fun. It sounds weird to say that, but it is kind of creepy. It's a little bit startling, but it's also just a blast of a horror movie. I I call it good, clean fun. I mean, I've had this complaint (laughs) before that, you know how sometimes horror really kind of rolls around in the evil. I mean, they get this sense that they really want to convey evil and and you feel it seeping into you where like after you've watched a film... Like when I saw the Evil Dead remake, that's a really good example of this, or The Exorcist. When I walked out of that theater, I just felt so, I actually almost felt sick. Like not sick to my stomach, but like I had the flu because I was just so impacted by that. Yeah, I mean, it really really affected me. And I guess on some level, I mean, that's respectable for a horror (laughs) film. But, you know, as a guy who doesn't relish, I mean, I don't like to roll around in the evil. Of course, I like to have a blast and be kind of freaked out. And that's what exists does for me. The Bigfoot creature looks tremendous. It really does. And he's very active and present in this film. You see him a lot. You really get a good look at him. And this is a must see. This is an eight out of 10. And I tell people to buy exists. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's um, it's a really strong film. It's I mean, we've nailed this, you know, hammered this on the head so much during our review. But this is by far the best Bigfoot movie ever made. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in checking out a Bigfoot movie, do check this one out. I know one of our listeners, David, said that he was a little underwhelmed with the film, having not seen a lot of Bigfoot movies. So. That was interesting to me. I thought, well, if he hasn't seen the kind of crap that's out there, maybe this wouldn't be as mind-blowing. But I do really think this is a fun ride, and I think it's a great use, in my opinion, of the found footage genre, I guess. And I, you know, I just I love the way this movie's put together. I love the monster. 
And I, it really actually legitimately scared me a few times. And the rest of the time, like you said, it's just a thrill ride. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. So, yeah, make sure you see exists and let us know what you think. All right, Josh, what is your number seven? Jason, you're going to love my number seven. <laughs> good. The King of Monsters. Oh, One piece man. to another. This <laughs> movie shows the sheer size and scope of the most terrifying. <laughs> Imagine you're swimming in the Pacific Ocean. You're with your family on a wonderful little holiday in Hawaii. When all of a sudden, <laughs> a shadow the size of an aircraft carrier <laughs> is underneath you and comes up on the beach. Godzilla, man. <laughs> I loved it. I really had a blast in this movie. It's a bit of an action movie. It's a bit of a drama with these, with our main characters, but you know, he's the king of monsters. You got to give him some time on the horror movie podcast. So yeah, I liked Godzilla. I enjoyed the film quite a bit. I don't care what the haters say. Haters going to hate. God's going to save Earth from a giant moth creature. <laughs> okay, well, let me just ask you one question. I'm not going to rip on your pick, but I mean, for, for me, this was a huge disappointment. And I want to know what you think, because yes, the haters are going to hate. But over on Movie Podcast Weekly, the listeners voted, and this was their number one biggest disappointment of the year. What do you do with that? What do you take away from that? I just take away a group of really nice people <laughs> who don't understand film history. <laughs> because like like exists, which is by far the best Bigfoot movie, you can't see any other Godzilla movie and not appreciate what these guys bring to the table. I, I don't get how anyone could be a Godzilla fan and not love this movie. It completely corrects all of the Jurassic Park problems that we had with the last installment of Godzilla. Right. It pays homage to all the original films and yet ups the ante and brings us something that's unique and wholly original and still feels to me completely tied to the, the franchise and the character and looks tremendous. By far the most realistic looking Godzilla we've ever seen. It feels like a prehistoric beast climbed out of the depths of the ocean. (laughs) I want to see this thing fight the robots from Pacific Rim. I want to see it fight King Kong. And I I hope to see many more Godzilla sequels in the future. (laughs) Well, I, I actually agree with everything that you just said. My only thing is, and I think maybe this is where you have maybe some denial going on, Wolfman, but like... I think that it is a great looking Godzilla and all that little pudgy for my taste, but I'll concede that he is the best looking for sure. But I just think that in this day and age of 2014, it could have been better. And that's what hurts me is what it could have been. Not, not what it was. I just don't get, I mean, there are problems with it. There to me, they're all in the human characters though. I think the monsters do what the monsters should be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the way they have them behave in this is my favorite iteration of the Godzilla character. Yeah, I'll give you that. So, so I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't love Aaron Taylor in this movie. In fact, I really actively disliked Aaron Taylor in this movie. <laughs> okay, but I love, you know, I love the other two actors. I just wish they'd been in it more. Um, so yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, well, I re- I respect your pick for sure, and you own that now, don't you? You bought it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I knew I knew that. Okay. 
let's see, we're on number seven for me. My number seven is something that I was very excited to see. And the, the very first instant this year that I could possibly see it, I saw it because I am a fan of writer-director Ty West, and that is The Sacrament. Now, I'm sure there are people out there in the horror community that are like, that's not a horror film. And I can I can even <laughs> respect that criticism, but here's the thing. This is clearly based on or inspired by some awful events that actually happened in history with Jim Jones. And especially the more you learn about that, watching it depicted here is just utterly terrifying to me. And so um, this is a very well-made film. It looks great. It's it's well done. And the 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 actor who plays um, the Jim Jones equivalent character, he is Gene, and, and ironically, his real name is Jones, Gene Jones. <laughs> That's kind of weird. They call him father in the film. He knocks it out of the park. It's astounding. And there is a scene where uh, the lead character, which is A.J. Bowen, he plays Sam. I believe that's the guy's name. Is it? It's A.J. Bowen, right? He was the guy in um, You're Next. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. So he's interviewing this Jim Jones character, father. He's interviewing him on stage. And the way that the dialogue is handled there is exceptional. That scene is extremely well played. It's very unsettling. And yeah, I'd call this more of a psychological um you know, horror film, kind of along the lines of a thriller, sure, I'll give you that, but it's just a very well-made horror film, and um, it scares me, it really scares me, and so this is an 8 out of 10, and I say bye, The Sacrament. Okay, what's your number 6, Wolfman? Uh, my number 6 is another one you hated, um, but for me, this set the stage so well, again, yeah, give me more horror elements, that's fine. But I love the setting of this movie. And for me, that is a huge part of my enjoyment of a film. I talk about this all the time. But I just love seeing some, a place that we've never seen on film before. And for me, to see the Paris catacombs <laughs> and to know that the film crew was actually in there in the worst place I would, you know, I never in my life would want to be in the situation these characters are in. I'm so claustrophobic. Ironically, next time I'm in Paris, I'm going here for sure. But I think, you know, the the way that these guys are able to create the feeling of that claustrophobia, the, that feeling of tension, that tightness. And again, just knowing that they're there, for me, that was terrifying. And yeah, I mean, on screen, the actual scares we get. I understand what you're saying. They're they're a little weak. They could be more, whatever. But I mean, I'm telling you, I breathed a f- sigh of relief the moment I stepped out of the movie theater. <laughs> I remember the night you saw this, you texted me about how claustrophobic it was for you. And you actually kind of struggled. You were having a physical reaction to that, right? Yeah, I had to close my eyes several times just from <laughs> not from... Not from anything scary, but just like I needed to like breathe and concentrate. <laughs> it's like again, I, I do get quite claustrophobic having after having had some of my own kind of like scary moments inside of caves. Um, which I love going in caves, but those tight spots freak me out so bad. So sure. 
Anyway, I, I really love this movie, and I love that. Like, I went and watched a little online documentary about it afterward, and it turns out like all these places they go are actual pl- real places. It's the way you would actually access the areas of the catacombs they go into. It's based on a real story, or at least they got the idea from a guy who was actually filming down there. Drops his camera. It looks like he gets chased off into the darkness by something unknown, and then they just found the the camera a couple years later. Like. That's terrifying. So I, I don't know. I love all that stuff. I love that vibe. And for me, that's a, a lot of what horror is, is just that vibe that I get. I just love that yeah. roller coaster thrill. And that's what I felt in this movie. I figured this would end up on your top 10 list from how much you enjoyed it. But I do have one question and I'm, I'm don't be mad because I'm just asking. But in episode 118 of Movie Podcast Weekly, you actually put this as above, so below. You put it on your biggest disappointments list. So how come? Well, for it was all those there? reasons I just said, it was also on my honorable mentions list as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and you know, some people would not would shake their heads at that, but for me, it was both. It was both one of my favorite films that I saw this year, and mm. it was also a bit disappointing. And believe me, this is not the last film on this list that is going to <laughs> <laughs> deal with those same kinds of Things, but for me, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Okay. Is it a perfect movie? No. no. Is it one of my favorite movies? Yeah. So, like, yeah. it's still a blast. And I still appreciate so much about it, even with the myriad of problems that it has. Yeah. Or take every 80s slasher movie. You know, I mean, we horror fans should be able to parse this out. Okay. There are movies that we love that we can tell. Like, I talked about Terror Train. Right. I love Terror Train. I know it's got a lot of issues, but yeah. I still love it. And that's how I feel about As Above, So Below. Wow. I was Because to me, you know what? The, the <laughs> movies that were on my biggest disappointment list, mm-hmm. most of those, the large majority of those were movies I planned on loving, that I just thought this is going to be my favorite movie of the year when I walked into the theater. Oh. And so for me, that was the biggest disappointment is like, okay, this wasn't the perfect movie that everybody's going to agree with me. You're going to love this because it's just not quite that. Yeah. It's still good. It's a six. It's well, all, That's all my list is number six. Well, I just hope that um you have the pyramid higher on the list mm-hmm, than you're, this. You're freaking mind. <laughs> Out of your mind. I can't believe that you like this better than the pyramid. I can't so believe much. it. That is a piece of trash. You know what we should do? We should do a poll question on this episode. Which movie is better? The Pyramid or As Above, So Below. And they're basically, they're like, they both suck. They're about the same. <laughs> I, know, I know. They'll be like, you both are just big dorks for like talking about those movies so much. Anyway, this is way scarier, way scarier than that movie. Oh, no way. Not to me. Not. I mean, the setting is better in As Above, So Below, but there's Pyramid. more horror in The Pyramid. Not really. There's one, <laughs> there's one monster that makes it feel like that's the case. That's it. At least there's one monster. Ooh, burn. No, I'm just kidding. There's a there's a sequence here <laughs> of a guy crawling over skulls that I almost died in the movie theater. <laughs> it is freaky. That is freaky. I'll give you that. Okay. Well done. Well, if you like scary underground movies, then you'll like my number six. And I hope you see it one day if you haven't already. Um, there were two films, at least in 2014, named this, and it is Ben Katai's Beneath. And um, now, man, I genuinely thought this movie was scary. 
And it's one of those things where these miners, basically you got this, this girl, she's the daughter, she's a coal miner's daughter, just like Loretta Lynn, right? And, <laughs> and, and basically um, her father is retiring. And so she, all those years he's worked in the mines, which is decades, 40 years or something, she's never seen what he does. And so on his last day of work, of course, she goes down with him and there's a collapse and it's a cave-in and they get trapped in this mine. And man, talk about claustrophobic. This does it to me. I mean, this is scary to me. And there are lots of, it's one of those films, one of those horror films that gives you jump scares and it's flashes of brief imagery. Uh, but the way that imagery looks, <laughs> the scary faces and stuff, I really, I, I don't know if I was just, kind of frazzled you know how if you have had a nerve-wracking day you're a little bit more sensitive to things I don't know if I was just sensitive the night I watched this but I watched it real late and I had a blast watching Beneath and the director is Ben Katai this, this is a um, 7 out of 10 it's a strong rental recommendation I know we had one of our listeners check it out I'm sorry I forget who it was and that listener was a little bit underwhelmed by it. So I'll put that out there. But for me, it's number six on my list. So, Josh, what's your number five? Uh, my number five is a really, really fun horror comedy that's really scary and just a blast at the same time. Unfortunately, at the end, it turns into more of just kind of like a a basic like police thriller type of film. But, it start, but it's still good. It starts out, though, as a great horror movie um basically housebound by the way is the name of the film okay. basically what you have is this this kind of rebel girl leaves home lives a life of crime gets arrested gets taken back to her parents house and is put on house arrest a la disturbia with the ankle bracelet and immediately finds out that her mom is seeing ghosts in the house <laughs> and hilariously the guy, the policeman who's supposed to be in charge of her ankle bracelet also happens to be a paranormal investigator. <laughs> and so when you, th she goes to tell him that her mom's crazy basically, and he completely believes the mom and starts his investigation promptly. So that was a really fun and funny element uh, to the film. And she later finds out that this house that she grew up in, which she thought her parents per had purchased as a bed and breakfast had actually been, an asylum type of place where someone had been murdered in her actual childhood bedroom. And so um, hilarity ensues as Andy would say over on movie podcast weekly. Yeah. And it's just a really fun horror comedy and it's just, it's great all around. Um, honestly, it's one of the better movies I saw this year. Um, I, I could maybe even place a higher on my list, but um, it's, it's just not, super special we've talked about this a lot on our other podcast it's yeah it's not trying to do anything spectacular and so it doesn't go higher on my list because it's not really pushing any boundaries it's a very simple story that we've seen kind of a hundred times but they just do it perfectly you know it's so well done all the performances are well done it's well shot it's well executed you know the themes are all there the tones are all there and so i, I absolutely loved housebound Wow, you got me so intrigued by this. I'm I'm just I'm just so reluctant always on horror comedy, but everything you've said about it sounds pretty good. Just imagine it's not a horror movie. Like if you're just thinking like, oh, it's a kind of a funny little thriller, then you'll be like, Wow, that was great. That's some great horror elements. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, no, that's cool. Very good. So Housebound is Wolfman Josh's number five. And my number five is one that it, it seems like nobody saw this. And I don't understand why, because the first film was very impressive. I got a little zombie pick here for the zombie fans. I mean, you can't have a top 10 horror list without a zombie movie. Yeah. And that is The Dead 2. And there's an alternate oh. title, which is The Dead 2 India. And of course, this is a, um, just like the first one, it's a Ford Brothers film, Howard and Jonathan. Now, you. I'm not sure if you knew that came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You. And that's the problem. I think that this was just totally overlooked. And I would, I would probably say. This is the number one most overlooked horror film in my experience and from talking to people this year. And that's a shame because it's actually really well done like its predecessor. In fact, I I actually like this one a little bit better, even though it is very, very similar to the first film. It's, it's basically, I don't want to call it a retread, but they do the same kind of things that worked in the first film. But in a lot of ways... It works a little better. It's a little more entertaining. It, it maybe doesn't have the same filmmaking quality, but there's it's very close. I mean, it's hard to quantify that, but uh, th- and it takes place in India this time. And uh, wow, I mean, this is definitely something people should see. It, in in this particular film, the the premise is, I mean, you've got different characters in this and you've got this guy who needs to get to he's got to travel like two or three hundred miles across india to get to his girlfriend who's expecting and she's staying with her family and they're kind of like holed up in this place in their apartment in the city where it's just totally breaking loose and everybody's turning and he's got to get there and um pretty decent horror film for sure this is definitely worth putting on your list and watching um, track it down. It's like a 7.5 to me, and it's definitely a, a strong rental. Huh. I, I love the first movie, so I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I think you'll dig it. All right, so what's your number four, Wolfman Josh? I mean, this next film, it's it's really an art film, more than a horror film, but it deals with the vampires as its main protagonists. Um, and it's really kind of one of those musings of on the the downside of living forever. It basically shows you the kind of malaise and just boredom and, and uh, just like the hatred that can grow for humanity. And um, after living hundreds and hundreds of years. And so basically this film stars Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston um, as two vampires who, who are just still hanging around and just have really become disillusioned, especially him, with the state of the modern world. And I feel like it's Jim Jarmusch, the director Jim Jarmusch's way of just talking about his own kind of frustration with art and culture at our current time. But he's able to put vampires in here and, and make it a, a, you know, a notch more interesting. And I really like all of the vampire elements he added to the film. But it does feel a bit more like an art house film than a, than a horror movie. Uh, but yeah, that's only lovers left alive. I I really love the movie. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, but it is you know a slow burn character piece. So I think horror fans may be a bit disappointed um, in this one. <clears throat> but um, but if you like those types of talky character films, it's it's great. And they and they do use 
it's you know it's not just a gimmick um, to throw the vampires in here. It makes a lot of sense thematically, and they do use a lot of genre tropes effectively in the film. Hmm. Now, didn't you tell me this isn't quite what you're expecting when you're when you go in and you're like, this is a vampire movie. You know, you you almost can't think of it that way because it's not it doesn't follow a lot of the vampire conventions, right? Um, no, again, it kind of, it feels more like a Jim Jarmusch movie. Like, um, I'm trying to think of like the perfect example. If, if you give me five minutes, I could come up with it, but, um, (laughs) it it feels more like a Jim Jarmusch film than it feels like a vampire film. So, um, but there are vampires in it. You know, he, he, it's like Jim, I mean, it's like Jim Jarmusch made a vampire movie, which is exactly what happened here. So, um, I, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it too much because I want us to debate it later when we talk about our house vampires. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've seen coffee and cigarettes or stranger than paradise or mystery train. It's kind of like one of those movies, but starring vampires. Right. Okay. I gotcha. Nice. So that's Josh's number four, Only Lovers Left Alive. All right. So we're down to my number four now. And this was such a pleasant surprise. Man, I was excited to see this film. This is a great Beastly Freak film from 2014. And it is called Animal. It's directed by Brett Simmons. And just so people know, Brett Simmons is the guy who also did Husk from 2011, which I love. Killer Scarecrow movie, also great. But Animal is really well done. There's just, you know, you got the the typical setup. You got this group of friends. They want to go out to the this cabin in the woods for a vacation weekend. And there is some horrendous, powerful, fast, ferocious, vicious, hideous creature out there just starts ripping them apart in the woods. And it is, I just love this so bad. I mean, guys, I love this movie. Animal is a must-see. It's a definite must-see. It's an 8 out of 10. And uh, for some reason, I only called it a strong rental. And maybe I was thinking maybe people aren't um, into Beastly Freaks as much as I am. But I I thought I rated it a buy. It's... It's pretty much buy-worthy, but I think for most people, definitely a strong rental. I think you'll enjoy it. So Animal is an eight and is my number four. Definitely check it out. What's your number three? My number three is another art house film. This one has a little more horror in it than the last one. Not a whole lot more, but the, the overall vibe is extremely creepy. And I've said this a lot, Child in per- Peril really freaked me out as a parent. And so I, I really had a high appreciation for the Babadook. And I really loved our conversation about it, actually. If you haven't heard that, go back and find it. I think that was one of the more fun podcasts we've done this year is talking about the Babadook. But mm-hmm. it's a great film. Um, and uh, one I think everybody should check out for sure. All right. So now we're down to my number three, which is one you've already said, so I won't talk about it very much. But... It was Dead Snow 2, Red versus Dead. <laughs> nice. And, and even though I'm not a horror comedy guy, man, this is so hardcore and over the top and nuts that it's just a total experience. Yeah. And there might there may have been some, you know, viewing experience, nostalgia associated with it. We saw it at Sundance Film Festival at the midnight screening, as you mentioned. And it's... Um, but still, I love the first Dead Snow. I think it totally 
holds up with that, even though it's kind of a different animal. But this is worth seeing. This is an 8.5 out of 10. I still hope people see it in the theater and buy it. Dead Snow 2. Yeah, I mean, I prefer this to the first film, to tell you the truth. But it is tonally way more arch and extreme. This is full on. Yeah. Uh, in terms of just the extremity, it goes to. They're swinging for the fences on the comedy and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Okay, what's your number two, Wolfman Josh? Well, it's one you already brought up. It exists. I think this was uh, one of my favorite films of the year for sure. Um, close to really being my favorite film of the year in terms of just straight ahead, great, fun horror movie. I, you know, I, it's. Um, I don't know. I had to I had to put something else at number one because it was just a little more outside the box than this. But as a major cryptid fan, Bigfoot fan, I was so happy to see a, tr- a legitimately scary um, and solid horror film with a with a big with a Sasquatch at the center of it. So um, I had a great time with this movie, and um, yeah, we've we've talked about it. So. I don't know what else really to say, but I, I really, really, really liked it. All right. That's your number two. Exists. All right. My number two is one that I am still just kind of at a loss for why you didn't love it more. But um, I wish you did. Hopefully it's your number one or something, but we'll see. And it is the sequel slash remake, I guess, of The Town, The Dreaded Sundown. Huh modern slasher flick i and you know i uh i really failed this film in the review of it and i haven't been able to discuss this film very well and i'm still kind of at a loss but i guess if i tried to capture why i liked it so much it's really well made i think it's still scary i think it improves upon a lot of the weaknesses from the original film and it also riffs on and builds upon that film which is very cool i think my favorite aspect is is all the weird meta self-referential like the way it's all tied together with the original is very cool to me and then and that's and my second favorite thing about it is here we have um a modern slasher film that came out in 2014 and yet it still is of not as good as scream no 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 it's of this (laughs) it's of the same vein or of the same makeup as like you know, the traditional like late seventies and eighties slasher flicks. I mean, it's, it's great stuff. I mean, is it it really? Yeah. I mean, it's the thing is it's got the same, um, chemistry. And what I mean is like the way it's built, the engine that runs it. I mean, the heart of the slasher, it is there, except it's, it looks better. It's not like cheesy or chintzy looking at, I mean, it looks great. I don't know. I, I can't. For me, I can't get past all the postmodern stuff. I can't help but think of Scream. And to me, you know, after Scream came out, it opened the door for all of these kind of self-referential, you know, slasher films. And you know, if if I was comparing it to those, you know, it would come in maybe third after or fourth after the Faculty. And I know you did last summer. Maybe it's better than I know you did last summer. But it's like if oh, I'm yeah. comparing it to that type of movie it's definitely not as good as scream it's definitely not as good as the faculty and so i'm like well okay it's like a it's like a c-rate like kevin williamson film and so it's hard for me to get past that 
you know, yeah, it's nice to get a new one. So, I mean, I'm not complaining about that. I liked it and I was happy to see it. I like everything you say about what it does to that original film and how it interacts with that original film. But I just, I guess I just wasn't blown away because it just kind of felt, I don't know, like nothing special to me. Well, as far as all that postmodernism and all the self-referential stuff, the only thing and you mentioned this, and I agree. The only thing that went over the line is when they had the Lone Wolf Morales character. Yes. He was named Lone Wolf Morales. And it's like, uh, I don't think you can do that. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that bothered me. But otherwise, it wasn't distracting to me. And, and the lead, Addison Temlin, was just, there's something about her, very enchanting. Love her screen presence. I want to see her more. And little side note, today, is uh, as we record this, it is New Year's Day, January 1st. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, the guy in this film who plays Reverend Cartwright, the actor's name is Edward Herman, and he just died yesterday on... Oh, New- no. Are you serious? Yeah, he died on New Year's Eve. Oh, no. That was the terrible news. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So Gosh, such a huge fan of his from Lost Boys. and Yeah. My yeah. friends that actually worked with him very recently. I was looking forward to getting to meet him but dang it man that was terrible it is but terrible what a great guy he was too so now i think just you know to commemorate him you should put the town that dreaded sundown up at number one on your list well, it's in my, it's in my <laughs> all right so that yeah, the town that dreaded sundown guys it is a nine out of ten for me and if you're a slasher fan like i am i say buy it okay wolfman josh what is your number one horror film of 2014 did I mention that I don't feel like there were really great horror films that came out in 2014? <laughs> well, you've mentioned a few such horror films in your list. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. You've done a great job. No, I know. I, I know I did a great job. But I'm just saying there's not. <laughs> given the, what I had to work with, I think I pulled a rabbit out of the hat, frankly. But uh-uh. um, <laughs> no, I mean, this is a totally out-of-the-box movie. As Jason said, probably half the people who see it will hate it. Um, this is a glorious train wreck, but it is glorious. And I love how wholly original it is. Uh, yeah, you can compare it to Human Centipede, but it's got so much more going on for oh me. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I, I love Tusk. You, um, you're putting that at number one. Number one, baby. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I the truth is maybe exists is my favorite horror film that I saw this year. But for me, Tusk is just so unique. It, it just does something I've never seen before. And so for me, I love that somebody tried to make this movie. And to me, that's almost enough. And yeah, at the halfway point, a big nose comes in and kind of turns the movie on its head and, and derails it a bit. Yes. That's, that is true. The first half of the movie, though, is flawless. It's such a great buildup to a horror movie. The performance of Michael Parks is impeccable. It's, it's incredible. And, and it frankly, it doesn't end bad either. I like, I like the whole ending. It's just that middle portion is really bad. And tonally it is a bit of a mess, but I, I can't help but feel like it's on purpose. And I feel like when we see moose jaws, I don't know, I'm hoping it will kind of tie it all together. I th- I'm hoping that Guala character will kind of, um, <laughs> Make more sense to us when we see a little more of them on screen. I'm I'm really crossing my fingers for that. But yeah, this is the most unique film I've seen this year, maybe. I mean, and I, honestly, there are a few of those on this list already. So 
Um, yeah, I was I was very pleased to see this movie. It arrived in the mail yesterday, the Blu-ray. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to spend many hours watching the special features and review this several times. How many? I was going to ask you that. I mean, how many times do you feel like you can rewatch Tusk? Uh, to me, this is going to be a, a very a constant rewatch for the next month. I'm going to probably watch this four or five times. Then I, I don't know when I'll pull it out again once I put the DVD on the shelf, uh, you know. But I'm I'm going to probably watch this four times at least. Wow, you just shocked me. I mean, I've I did I put it in my list and everything, but wow, <laughs> number one. Okay, well, I mean, what else is there? There's not much out there, Jason. Well. <laughs> My number one, I can't believe that you put it. My number one is on your list, and I can't believe that you put Tusk above this, and that is the Babadook. And let me just tell you one thing about the Babadook, listeners. When I was hearing how everybody was raving about this movie, I was like, okay, first of all, that's a dumb title. And second of all, it's not going to be my favorite horror film of 2014 because everybody's raving about it. And I kind of resist the whole bandwagon thing. And since we have raved about it quite a bit, we've had listeners on the comment boards uh, mention that they were underwhelmed and it was way too overhyped. I've seen those words on the comment boards and <laughs> I, I understand that. I mean, I understand why people would feel that way, but see to me, it, and and really, it's hard. I mean, you've a lot of you have heard our spoiler section on this, and we laid it out there why we thought it was so great. And so, for the people who haven't heard that, you know, maybe you still wouldn't be convinced. But this premise, you got a widowed mother who struggles to cope with her terrified first grader who believes that his bedtime monster is real. And then she begins to struggle even more as she realizes he may be right. That is tremendous to me. And as a parent, as a, as a guy with kids, and even some of the personal experiences in my life led me to just have like a flowing waterfall of chills down my back, especially when Wolfman Josh here enlightened me during that spoiler conversation. I, I just, I almost had the movie put together and then he snapped it into place for me and I was just literally blown away. This is a 10. You raised it a point. Yeah, two, uh, actually, two points. two points. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I had it, I was going to, put it at an eight at first but then when we got in our spoiler conversation i was like wow and you can you can view this film either like literally or metaphorically and to me if you view it metaphorically it is unstoppable best horror film of 2014 10 out of 10 the babadook and i i think josh you were right you said it in a review this will this may end up being a classic and i have to agree yeah i mean i think all of my top four will be classics honest to tell you the truth but Oh really? Okay. I mean, I I think, or at least you know, important or you know, noteworthy films this time. Time goes by. I I, I don't disagree with you, Jason. Um, ultimately, yeah, I just had more fun with the other movies. But I, I understand, especially with your own background, why this would be <laughs> especially poignant. But I think, um, you know, I think it is a great film. You know, it's the, it's my number three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, this movie made my overall list as well so yeah films on here that made my overall list yeah we should both say that too yeah it was my number three of the entire year of all genres of cinema for 2014 it was my number three so yeah absolutely all right honorable mentions 
Wolfman Josh. Let's let's hear these blow down through this list. Yeah, again, not not the most mind blowing movies, but I enjoyed my viewing experience of Cabin Fever Three, uh, Life After Beth. I know you love this one, Paranormal Activity, the Marked Ones. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I, had, I had fun. Open Grave, The Sacrament. Stage Fright. That was a great movie, actually. To me, Stage Fright was the uh, the better slasher than the next one of my honorable mentions list, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, and Were, or Where, or Ver, or however you say it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Those are my honorable mentions. Yeah, and there are some there that you mentioned that we'll probably be talking about in the future, I bet. Yeah. Um. Okay, my honorable mentions. Ready? Here we go. It was Annabelle. 6.5. I mean, it was actually better than I thought it would be, and it's a little bit more hardcore than... I mean, I wish it had more horror elements in it, but there's a scene in the intro that I'm like, wow, they really went for that. Uh, also, Dock of the Dead. I actually rated it really high. It's an 8. And um, the only reason it ended up in my honorable mentions and not in my top 10 is because it's a very basic, like, Zombies 101 kind of film. And I think for many horror fans... A lot of it will be retread, but I I enjoy it. And our very own Kyle Bishop is in that film. Yeah, I uh, that's great. I wish I had remembered to think of that as a horror film. It's you know, it's a documentary about horror films, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a fine doc for sure. Exactly. And this is gonna bug you that I got this on the list, but Willow Creek, even though it is kind of a disappointment Gosh. as a Bigfoot film, it was a seven out of ten for me. And there's um. There are some bold moves in this. There's a scene in a tent that is very brazen yes. and very bold. And I have to say, for me, very effective. Yeah, it doesn't make it good, but it is bold. It's a one-time, I mean, for a one-time watch, and that's what this is, um, I think it's really worth your time. Then <clears throat> there's an interesting little film found footage. It's called Afflicted. I reviewed this with Bill Shetty. I think I came in around a 6 or 6.5. I liked it. Um, extraterrestrial. Have you caught up with this one yet? Did not. I apologize. I need to see that. No, it's fine. It's just what, what really impressed me the most with this movie is it takes all of the cliche worn out alien movie conventions, every single one of them. It puts it into this little horror movie and it's kind of effective actually. So that's a 6.5. It's a rental. And then another movie that some people, I've, I've read that people are dogging on this, but man, this movie kind of st- stuck with me. It's called Honeymoon 6.5 Rental. Um, very disturbing to me. Definitely psychological. It doesn't, not a lot of payoff in terms of the horror that it shows, but still freaky. And then this one is one of those like Redbox movies or something, but I was very impressed. Lizzie Borden took an axe. Nice. Yeah, and it was actually decent. Have you seen that yet? No, I just I remember the conversation about it. Yeah, and it's got um our girl Christina Ricci in it, and she does a fine job. And you know, there's it's it's more of a drama type movie about a, a horrific actual person, but um it's pretty well done. And then this one, I can't believe this is in my honorable mention, but I I can't argue against it too much, and that's Nurse 3D. It's, it's kind of a guilty pleasure, but it's pretty entertaining. And then Oculus, 
was okay. I mean, very easy to telegraph what was going on, but one sick puppy and our friend, the unknown murderer, Levi there, they had some good arguments. They liked this film a lot. For me, it's like a six. It, it was one of the actual better um, releases in theaters. And what I think that's accomplishing something, Josh, when it's about a an evil mirror, right? It's like, <laughs> how scary can a mirror be? But um, they do all right in it. And then Open Grave is on my honorable mentions list as well. I wish I wouldn't have thought of it as a horror film. It, I mean, to me, it's kind of like it just, it's definitely has some horrific elements, but to me, it's like a thriller. No, it's half my list. But it's a, it's a five. It's a rental. And then I put Stage Fright on here too. And I'm not into, I hate musicals generally. And this blends musical with horror, Yeah. but it's fairly well done. It's really well done, and it's it's interesting. I don't know. It's re- do you have you seen the original Stage Fright? No, I haven't. It's really interesting to compare them because they're very similar and completely different at the same time. So I don't well, know. wow, yeah. But so I mean, I'm sure that everybody that hears musical and horror, they're like, nah, nah. But it's a slasher, and it's it's worth your time. And then finally on my honorable mentions would be The Pyramid. I really liked that movie, and you didn't, but I know my buddy Willis Wheeler chimed in and said, I'm with you, Jay. I liked it too. So take that. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Do you have a a biggest disappointments list? Well, I've got my two worst movies I saw this year list. Okay. I got a worst movies list too. So I'll just run through my disappointments real quick if you don't have any of those. Go for it. Okay, my biggest disappointment, sorry, Wolfman, but as above, so below, 2.5, avoid. Um, (laughs) How do you like the pyramid? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Blood Glacier, a little bit of a Beastly Freaks flick, um, had potential and very similar to The Thing. And so it has it has a lot going for it, but still not quite enough. Is it I was really a big biggest disappointment though, or is it just kind of not great? It's fine. I think it's passable. Well, I mean, I don't remember what I rated it, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's you liked it better between us. Do you remember? Oh, definitely you. Okay, I don't remember what I rated it. Some people on the message boards were saying, sorry, Josh, this is good. And I was like, I thought I kind of liked it, but I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I know Bill Shetty liked it a lot and he thought that I would love it. And I just don't, I don't, yeah, it didn't do it for me. But then don't mix these up, everybody. Larry Fessenden's movie called Beneath. That was the other 2014 Beneath. And man, the premise is great. You got this group of kids that get stuck in this rowboat on this lake. And um, there's a killer fish in the water. That sounds very reminiscent of Jaws, I know, but it's like a giant (laughs) piranha. And the reason it's bad is because the fish looks horrendous. It looks terrible. So, um, and our buddy Larry Fessenden, I don't think he handled the situation real well because like, you know, it's built on that premise. Okay, there are so many of us in the boat. We can't get out of here. We got to distract the fish. Who's going in the water? Who's going to be the fish food? That while... seemed like the most interesting aspect of this movie. Right. Kind of like Hitchcock's lifeboat. But he, he doesn't even do that very well. And that was really the heart of my disappointment. Yeah, the fish looks bad. But you if you're, if you're not a big jerk, you can sometimes you suspend your disbelief. It's like, okay, maybe they had a small budget. So what? But then when he didn't handle the dramatic interactions on this whole 
premise of, you know, somebody's got to be the sacrifice, then I can't forgive it. So that's a four. It's an avoid. And then my two biggest heartbreaks of the biggest disappointments are Deliver Us From Evil. It was still a 5.5. It's a rental, oh, oh. but it's more of an action-y thriller cop crime drama. Yeah. Not nearly enough horror. It's very well made. I mean, if for that, I mean, it'd probably be pretty well, but for a horror film, not great. And it's it's pretty standard when it comes down to the end and the final, like, you know, climax. And then my other biggest heartbreak is Godzilla. I was so disappointed. Ugh. As were many other people who listen to Movie Podcast Weekly. So. And just as many who weren't. <laughs> okay. All right. Our biggest, our worst movies. So make sure you do um, your list of worst and then the very worst that you hated the most or whatever. Okay. Okay. My list of worst are as follows. The Pyramid. <laughs> the very worst was Willow Creek. That's it. <laughs> no way. Yeah. By You're- far the worst movie I saw this year. Was Willow Creek, although the pyramid was a close second. That's hilarious. I can't believe that. Then you didn't see bad films. Let me tell you about some bad I don't, films. I don't go see bad films. That's the thing. I, I avoid seeing bad films. I don't know why you subject yourself to utter trash. That's because I'm a film critic. And I do it for the listeners. Don't do it. Okay. Here- <laughs> no, that's terrible. Here, here we go. Listeners, check this out. These are movies. I'm, I'm not just saying... You know, you can watch these if these are free or whatever. Totally avoid. These are terrible. I hated them. Okay. Devil's Do. It was in theaters. It's a two. Avoid. Fields of the Dead. That was a red box. Three. Avoid. Haunting of the Innocent. The cover looks intriguing. No. Red box. Two. Avoid. I Frankenstein. Oh, boy. That's a 4.5. Avoid. Dumb. The Quiet Ones, that was in theaters. Three, Avoid. And on, this was my lowest rated horror film. Quiet Ones has an awesome poster, at least. It does, but the movie is weak. And so many people on the message boards have said that, too. So they back me. And then my lowest rated horror film, which, you know, maybe, I don't it's very bad. This was a .5 Avoid. It's called Voodoo Possession. <laughs> And, wow. and that movie is so awful. It's got um Danny Trejo is in it, and it is just unwatchable. And yet I watched it. And then Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, that was a one, a void for me. Josh gave it a 6.5. He it liked lost. It. I had a great time. It was an honorable mention. Oh, my goodness. And then the, the very worst horror film of 2014 that I saw was Mutantis. <laughs> just which is a one avoid bad. <laughs> it's very bad i mean it's uh, don't even try it out don't try any of these movies like you know so bad they're good because they're not they're so bad they're painful so there you go so that wraps up our 2014 movies yeah. list what do you think about it now we got some listener lists as well because we asked for those I do feel bad that there's not one movie on my top 10 list that I feel like I, I feel like nobody can say that kind of sucks. Like I feel like every single movie on my top 10 list, I can imagine people thinking sucks. So that's kind of a bummer. I think it's more of a reflection on the year than me, hopefully, but um, 
I, I did have a couple movies I just I'm dying to see that I haven't seen. You've mentioned several of them: Afflicted, The mm. Canal, Honeymoon, Horns, The Houses, October Built, um, Late Phases, Wolf Creek Two. I can't believe I didn't see. Actually, I hate myself for not seeing that. And so, then you brought you brought up the Dead Two and Extraterrestrial that are also now added to my list. But yeah, yeah, Horns to me is not a horror film at all. It's just a fantasy. It's still on my list to see, though. Okay, I just want to put that out there on Horns. Um, well, I mean, again, that's half my list, unfortunately, this year. No, that's okay. Well, we we've come to know your your tastes, so people people appreciate no, your I'm artistic saying- side. No, I'm just saying there weren't very many great horror films this year. Not again. I don't think it's a reflection on me so much as the year. But <laughs> okay, no, fair enough. I I'm with you. Uh, yeah, Tony's on fire. Tony is on fire. He he left a top ten list, and his list goes as follows: number ten, Wolf Creek two; number nine, The Purge, Anarchy. And by the way, I just me personally, I felt like. The first Purge was a horror movie, and this one was more of an action-type thriller. I did like it, though. Number eight, Exists. Number seven, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Number six, As Above, So Below. Number five, Tusk. Number four, Horns. Number three, Found. And I was trying to figure out if that was the found that I recently reviewed. It was this really low-budget indie. Um, pretty cool. So I hope it's that one, because that's like a 7.5 to me. And then The Sacrament was his number two, and his number one was The House's October Built. Yeah. And Steve of Horror After Bath Time from Wheeling, West Virginia, he gives his top ten as number ten, Annabelle, number nine, Starry Eyes, number eight, The Quiet Ones, number seven, Maniac, number six, The Taking of Deborah Logan. I have been trying to get to that film for like two months now. I can't wait. Number five, The Babadook. Number four, Housebound. Number three, Honeymoon. I'm impressed. Good pick. Number two, Oculus. And number one, As Above, So Below. Juan left uh, a tentative list. I don't know if I didn't see an updated list. But he had In Fear, The Babadook, Hatchet 3. He said Cheap Thrills, which is more of a thriller, but I count it. He says 13 Sins, very similar to Cheap Thrills, but I still count it. Oculus, Stage Fright, Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, Blood Glacier, Life After Beth, Cabin Fever, Patient Zero, Open Grave, and Coherence, which is more of a sci-fi thriller, he says, but it's definitely got that horror vibe. And our friend Jeff Hammer likes that a lot, too, so he told me to check it out. So that was just a couple of the lists, and so thanks for chiming in on that, and please continue to chime in with your list. Feel free to put it up on the message boards and you know, set us straight on our list. But again, these were the best horror films of 2014 of those that we saw, which for me was like out of 40 movies. Yeah, it was just a hard rear, guys. Come on, cuss some slack. <laughs> That's right. So on Horror Movie Podcast in 2014, that actually spanned from episode six to episode 37, which was the previous episode, our Christmas Horrors. And, um, you know, I was just kind of going down through there and it's like a year exactly, basically, from when we released episode six. And just to mention a couple of highlights, in episode seven, we um, talked about The Battery, which is really fun. <laughs> I, I still love that movie, by the way. Yeah, Wolf me Man. too. And, uh, I just got the Blu-ray this year, so I feel like I, I just recently revisited it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the episode that I did Open Grave, reviewed that in and... um 
Also, you know, episode eight, we did our big Dead Snow 2 review with the Movie Podcast Weekly guys, if people want to check that out. I was fond of episode nine because Doc and I were just trading many reviews back and forth, which is a good time. Do you remember our Cold Prey discussions? The Cold Prey one and two. That's episode 10. And if people out there haven't seen the Cold Prey movies, yeah, you definitely want to revisit those or check them out at least. And then in episode 11 is when we talked about Feral Vamps. And one of the highlights in that was a film that I watched thanks to Mangloid's recommendation. It's called The Burrowers from 2008. It's like a Western horror mix. Have you seen that yet? No. Oh, that's got to be on your I list. On, I did put it on my list, actually. Yeah, it is good stuff. And then in episode 12, we actually did our top five scariest horror films of all time during that episode. That was kind of cool. And then in episode 13 and 14, <laughs> something was wrong. Because in episode 13 is when Doc and I got on that big uh, Jangel kick. We found that movie during the podcast. And in episode 14... <laughs> was like eight and a half hours long. And I actually listened to that episode wow. when I drove to LA. And it basically, I mean, it got me a lot of my drive. That's how much it was. And there are some good parts in it, but I mostly want to apologize to the listeners because that is a lot of podcast in there. <laughs> so I'm sorry if you guys hated episode 14. Episode 15 was the weekly horror movie podcast reunion show. We had um, a brief visit from Terror Toby. We had Midnight Corey and Bill Shetty back together again. And of course, Dr. Shock. And we missed you that night, Wolfman, because it was also like, you know, our horror metropolis crew as well. But next, sure, but next I was time. not weekly horror, so that's fine. But you are a weekly horror caliber kind of guy because you're a fighter. <laughs> you are such a fighter. And in episode 16, we reviewed The Sacrament and Contracted. I like Contracted. You, you've seen that, right? Uh, which one was Contracted? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah, and we talked about that, and we are what we are in that one. In episode 17 is when we fought about Godzilla. And the highlight of that show for me was um, Gutter Balls from 2008. <laughs> Not for everybody. Let me just warn you there. But, man, listen to that review if you get time. And... Wolfman, what happened? Can you, sorry to put you on the spot, do you have any updates on the Green Inferno and if we're ever going to get that? No, I looked into it the other day. I still didn't find any. I mean, it had been released in certain markets like Chile, but I couldn't find any release info still. Okay. Well, if anybody knows anything about that, please let us know. Episode 18, we reviewed... um, I actually reviewed two films that were recommended by listeners. Justin recommended Banshee Chapter, which is worth your time. It's like 6.5 to me. It's good. And then Rardo recommended The Road from 2011. It's foreign film. It's a six. It's also, you know, you would like The Road a lot, Josh. It's really well made and it's a slow burn horror, but it's pretty cool. Cool. Episode 19 is when we did the siege narrative. I was super proud of that. We did Willow Creek and argued about that. Episode 20 was our 4th of July horror. Did some Deliver Us from Evil review from the theater. And you gave that an 8. So, yeah, I liked it. I liked our 4th of July reviews better, though. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun. Episode 21 is one of my favorite um, themed episodes. It was your idea. It was the proto-slasher precursor to a subgenre. Great stuff. Yeah. And then... um, 
Episode 22 was a Jay of the Dead solo cast, actually. Did Aftershock, No Vacancy. Um, we talked about Approach Aversion, the Beneath movies, and Husk. And then um, in 2014, that's when we lost Marilyn Burns, who I think is the greatest scream queen thus far in history. I can't see anybody getting up there to her levels. No. And episode 23 was really fun. I was in West Virginia for that, and Kyle Bishop joined us to talk about the Doc of the Dead uh, documentary. That was great. Um, and then we did, in episode 24... We did As If Above, So Below, and You and One Sick Puppy were mad at me <laughs> during that. <laughs> and we did that another film called Sacrament, which is a little indie production that was um that had some heart. Twenty five, episode twenty five was Doc and I did Lesser Loved Eighties Horror Fair. Um Wolfman Josh and I and Kill Bill Kill, aka <laughs> William Rowan Jr. reviewed Husk in episode twenty six. And that's an epic review. It's like an hour and five minutes on Tusk. <laughs> so if everybody wants to hear Tusk review ad nauseum, that's the one. Yeah, that was a great review. One that I didn't get to this year that Dr. Shock really liked was Crawl or Die. Did you see that? No. Okay. Yeah, we, that was talked about there too. And then, of course, episodes 27 through 31 were by far our most popular episodes this year when we did our Halloween extravaganza. It makes me tired just saying that. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of work, but um, people were gracious and they seemed to enjoy it. So it was worth it. We're doing Friday the 13th here very soon. So get ready for that. Episode 32 talked about Annabelle and Mutantis. So I warned people there. Episode 33, the Wolfman talked about Dracula Untold, which is not a horror movie, right? No. Yeah. It's not bad for what it is. Yeah. Just not a horror movie, which is unfortunate for horror fans. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But episode 34, everybody, was um, probably, at least for me, it was one of my favorite of the year, Cryptozoological Horror Part 1, Bigfoot, with director Eduardo Sanchez. And we actually have a couple more interviews still with him in the can that we can um, release at a future date. And we're going to talk about the Blair Witch Project pretty in-depth with him and. That's going to be fun, so we should get that on the schedule so we can get that out to people too, huh? Absolutely. And then uh, another one of my favorites, and some of the listeners said this was their very favorite ever, was our Black Friday, The Horrors of Consumerism episode with Kyle Bishop. Yeah, it's in my top five for sure. I loved it. Yeah, that film, I mean, <laughs> that that podcast was kind of nuts. And then episode 36 is when we talked about the Babadook, and at the very end we did a spoiler section. And, um, and then Christmas Horrors was episode 37, and I'm just dying to ask you, finally, I know that you ended up buying Wind Chill, and yes. I wanted to hear what you thought about that. Eh, meh. <laughs> I, was little, I was a little disappointed. Um, Did you think it was like Dead End? I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, I know, I know you didn't give it a raving review or anything, but I think, I well, one thing I found upon my research was that... Um, it was produced by George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh. Mm. And so I thought, oh, well, there must be something to this film or else, you know, those guys wouldn't be involved with it. Mm. And it's, it's an interesting idea. It's like, it's got a kind of a cool premise, I guess. Like the, the backstory of what's supposed to be happening in the film is interesting. Yeah. Um, 
they could have done more with that though, right? I mean, it would have been a lot more creepy had they explored that further and really like um exploited that backstory. Just give me some good freezing cold moments and some good a few more scares and it, it could have been a lot better but it it was not it was a pleasant film that's just not exactly what i was looking for <laughs> yeah it's a it's a six to me it's a rental but it does have yeah. it does have christmas carols in it and one is particularly important so that's true on the radio seven and yeah, it's, I, I can see giving it a five or six myself yeah it's like a six but um it is a december 23rd horror film yeah. Right? I prefer P2. Yeah. If I have to pick one. Yeah, I'd say that. P2 is a little more in your face. It's a little more hardcore in the toward the horror side of things. It's a little more Christmassy. Yeah, that too. All right. All right. Very good. So I, I feel like we've had a good year. I think we put a lot of heart into it, and the listeners have been very gracious and they appreciate it. So we're going to do it again this year in 2015, and we're going to even try to do even better so we're going to try to dazzle you guys um so thank you for being with us do you have any words for the listeners wolfman josh you better watch out (laughs) that's that's right because in 2015 we're coming (laughs) at ya yeah absolutely okay well that just about wraps up episode 38 of horror movie podcast that was our 2014 recap in horror we didn't really get around to talking about what we're looking forward to in 2015. We're going to try to prepare something special for that. And hopefully at some point in the next couple of episodes, we'll talk about what's coming down the pike. I just want to thank a good friend Wolfman Josh and a good friend Kyle Bishop for being here tonight. And as you heard from his voicemail, Dr. Shock was lamenting that he was not able to make it. Thank you all for commenting and supporting us so much this past year. It's been a great time, and we'd love to have you keep the comments coming and send us emails. We'd love it. You can get involved in our Horror Movie Podcast community by leaving a comment in the show notes, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And our favorite is if you leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789. We actually have a couple of voicemails lined up here for our next episode, so we haven't forgotten about you. Uh, We just ran out of time. So thank you for calling, and we're going to be playing those soon. You can find all our past episodes, including the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis archives, at our site at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for Horror Movie Podcast theme song. And you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. I'll have it linked in the show notes. And you can check out Wolfman Josh. You can follow him on Twitter at Icarus Arts. And he's also getting his um, movie streamcast little podcast up and running once again. And he does a great little short movie podcast with his wife. And they do an awesome job, as you probably expect. They cover all genres, but it's good stuff. If you like podcasts, definitely check out Movie Streamcast. And also check out Dr. Shock, of course, at DVDinfatuation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. And remember, if you want to check out or review some of his free ebooks of his film criticism, please uh, send us an email at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and Dr. Shock will get you hooked up. 
And remember that the best way that you can support a horror movie podcast is to leave us a review in iTunes. So make sure you're subscribed. It's free. Just leave us a review. That'd be great. And I think that's it for episode 38. So thank you for listening and join us again in two weeks. And that'll be Friday, January 16th for a horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. Happy New Year.